Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. Hello, everyone. I'm Giles. I'm Emily. And I'm Michelle. And we're the Beyond the Trope podcast. Every week, we delve into topics like pop culture, fiction writing, and other nerdy things. We feature laid-back conversations, bad puns, and in-depth interviews with authors, comic creators, and more. Find our show at beyondthetrope.com. Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy. At Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. You can also call us, 720-6NERDS5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. I'm Andre Gower. And I'm Ryan Lambert. And you're listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Comic Con 2019 and beyond. I am Ryan. With me is Brad and Zach and actually in-house Henry. Uh, we're missing James this week, but James got married. Congratulations to James and Brooks. Hopefully you have fun on your honeymoon mm-hmm. and uh, come back a little tanner and a little more um, relaxed because they're going to Hawaii, I believe. Oh, wow. So that should be fun. So cliche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice, though. It'd be really cool if they like surf down lava. Right, there's a volcano situation there yeah. right now. Well, if you go to the big island. I don't know what island they're going to. Yeah. I just know they're going to Hawaii. Uh, Kauai is the big film island, so I imagine yeah. James probably pushed for that one. Kauai is also beautiful, so that's not yeah. just beyond well, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all the islands are super beautiful. And you can, um, I think you said something, they might be island hopping too. You can take like a... Helicopter? No. Jurassic Park style? That'd be sweet, but <laughs> usually you take, it's like an airplane. It's mm-hmm. only like 35 bucks. And I went there... 12 years ago with Brandon. His sister was going to school at the University of Hilo. And um, I remember we went in there. She picked us up from the airport. And so we only had to pay for airline tickets because she said we could stay with her. So we didn't have to get a hotel. And she'd drive us around. We were sweet. Um, so we go in and she had a roommate. And um, so Hershey Syrup, uh, most of us here on the uh, continuous United States are used to like squeeze bottles. Mm-hmm. Hershey Syrup. But they also make some that are in a tin can. Mm-hmm. And we go in there, and her roommate has a tin can, and it's, like, open. It's Hershey syrup, and the lid's still on it, but it has all, like, little jaggies. Like, he, like, really tried to get it open, and he's just eating spoons of it. And I don't know. I, he must have been stoned out of his mind. I love college. Yeah. <laughs> just just eating Hershey syrup. I don't think I could eat spoonfuls of it. Yeah, that's really rich. It is. I mean, it's good. I mean, I love I love me some Hershey's. Because it's not, like, milk chocolate syrup. Exactly. It's, like, dark chocolate. Yeah, and Ugh. it's... And and it's made for like a concentrate because you make chocolate milk or you put it on ice cream, so it's meant to be blended with mm-hmm. stuff. But no, this motherfucker straight out just eating it. Do you go into eating. a diabetic shock? Uh, I don't know. His eyes were like half closed the whole time, <laughs> and I forget his name. But Brandon has a really funny picture. Um, I'll have to ask him for it sometime. His eyes are half closed, and he has the spoon up to his mouth. So he, we were making fun of him, but he didn't realize we we're making fun of him because we took a picture of him. And uh, yeah. Isn't is fun? 
It sounds like one of those things that you do, like, when you just became an adult and you're like, I can do anything. Exactly. In life. But do you still struggle with, so, uh, we're all adults here, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're about to, like, um, do something, you say, man, I wonder what my mom would think. And then you have to, like, think to yourself, actually, I'm 30 years old. I don't give a fuck what my mom thinks. <laughs> and then I go, man, my mom's been really disappointing me. And she sees me streaking across the desert. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yes. <laughs> that exact situation. I know, Zach, you still live with your parents, so. Um, like, well, they're not, they're not always, like, completely home sometimes. But, um, I guess, like, some eating habits, yeah. Like, yeah. do I really need to order a large pizza from Pizza Hut and eat it all in one sitting? Not uh, really. It's not really <laughs> my parents that, like, push me. It's more like I'm closer to the grave than I am like, being young. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. if I do this now, then. Well, that's another thought, but that's just too depressing yeah. to discuss right now. I don't want to do these things when I'm 60. So. Well, I mean, now what holds me back is I'm an adult. I'm like, fuck, I have to take care of my wife and kid. Yep. <laughs> Guess no comic store movies this yeah. week. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I have enough movies. I, I can watch. Uh, I can watch a movie this week. <laughs> the irony: you're a police officer, and you kind of live in jail. <laughs> oh, it is irony. <laughs> ironic. My thing is that bad habits are too expensive, and rent is too high. So no, like, no, that's like, oh my god. Every every day, I just sit there. Like, you know, I remember when I was younger. So Mario Tennis came out for the Switch. I was man, I really want to get that game. I don't have sixty dollars to go yeah. down to fucking GameStop to get it. I know my mom was like bragging, "Hey, there's a sale at GameStop like last week because mm-hmm. it was something something going on." I think like, it's probably the sale because they're trying to sell the company. Um, <laughs> probably. And I was just like, "That's nice." <laughs> the I'm gonna stay away from there because like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be depressed that I can't yep buy anything because like Mario Tennis Aces looks really fun, but just like. Charlie looking inside the candy store window going like, one day I'll get a Wonka bar. <laughs> no, it truly is. It's- Actually, have you seen that new Atari, the virtual console? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, like I, I signed up for pre-order like, information and tried to get in on like the early $200 basic version. And I finally had the opportunity. I looked down and I was like, I can't really spend 200 bucks on a console right now. <laughs> Sad. You know, that I don't even know what the games are going to be. And I mean, now that opportunity has gone. All right. Now you gotta pay like four hundred dollars for it. <laughs> is it four hundred bucks? Uh, depends on what model you get, because like there's the base console, then there's like a version that comes with the joystick, the retro mm. joystick, and then there's like a uh, kind of like the wa- the wireless controller that the Switch has. There's a version of that too, and so like the bundle's like four hundred bucks. Yeah, I don't think I pay four hundred bucks for Atari. Yeah, because but like the early adopters, that was a it, and they yeah. also have like two models where like it's all. Did it a Kickstarter thing or something? Yeah, it was a Kickstarter mm-hmm. thing, but they raised. Uh, like they only needed a hundred thousand dollars to like get in the market, and they blew past it. It's like two million dollars or something. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so. four hundred. That's so much like a Switch is, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, I think yeah. a Switch is four hundred with no like a list. You know, there's no Mario type Atari characters or. Oh well, yeah, I mean, this is being old sucks. So you know, I only got my Switch because um, I was an Xfinity loyalty customer, and they sent me a two hundred dollar gift card. And then I put the other 200 on my Best Buy credit card. But if not, I probably wouldn't even have my Switch because I have a fucking family. <laughs> a kid that needs to eat. And people need to eat and depend on me. It sucks. <laughs> Anyways, we do waste money on this show. Every every week we go see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. This week we saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, stay tuned to the end of the show. We'll tell you if you should see the movie and then play the trailer and then we'll uh, spoil the film for you. Uh we also talk about movies we've been watching, stuff that's coming out on Blu-ray, movie news, and we also go around town with Brad. Not a moped this week. It's a Stingray convertible. 
Hey, ladies, get in my stingray. You're going to have fun when we go down to the Landmark Theater just off 6th Avenue in Denver, Colorado. In my stingray, white wall tires. And I park it in front of the movie theater because no one will stop me because it's my stingray. Oh, wait, now I'm going to go to the drive-in theater. In my st- I'm done. <laughs> I never thought the song Firebird could be topped, but I think Stingray is going like, to yes, skyrocket. Stingray. <laughs> hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. Uh, okay, so um, this week uh, at the Esquire, the midnight. On Friday, June 29th is The Room, and Saturday, June 30th, it's Rocky Horror Picture Show. So, uh, again, they do that kind of stuff twice a month. You're tearing so. me apart, Lisa! <laughs> you can't say that. You haven't seen it. Uh, I've seen The Disaster <laughs> Artist, and he says it in that. And then uh, <laughs> the following weekend in July 6th and 7th, they're doing Jaws. So oh, I might have to do that one. Actually, sitting in the theater today, I was like, because uh, they're promoting like the Alamo has their own Jaws thing, and I was like, I never actually saw Jaws in the theater. I haven't either, so I might. I don't think I have. Do this or theirs. You know, ironically, I've seen Jaws 3D in the theater. Well, good because that's the Ow. one you need to see in the theater. <laughs> no, I didn't see it in 3D. I, they were just where did I see that at? It wasn't an Alamo, was it? No, it wasn't Alamo. You, you mean Jaws 19 and Back to the Future 2? <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. No, that's I a hologram. Forget, I forget where I saw it. Hmm. That's interesting. They're uh they're like they're doing Alamo's doing the on the water one right, I don't know if it yeah well in Austin I think one of my friends in Long Beach uh, sent me an invite going like can you make it down to Long Beach um, on the 18th of August I'm like why and he showed me the link and I'm like oh fuck that'd be fun and it's just Jaws and you float in the water and pray to God it's not real <laughs> or do you mm. <laughs> similar to the time they did uh, Die Hard in the uh, that was on <laughs> Not <fire>. to be positive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Fox owns that building. They could, you know, hook themselves up with Fox and actually do a diehard yeah. screening at Nakatomi, uh, Nakatomi Plaza. They should do Lethal Weapon in front of somebody's front yard. <laughs> uh, just a fire hydrant going. Yeah. <laughs> and at the drive-in, uh, they've got Incredibles two, Ocean's eight, and Deadpool two. Oh, ew! It's a really good lineup, actually. Yeah. It's like something for the kids, something for mom, and something for dad. <laughs> And then uh, June 30th, uh, from 10 to 12, at Denver Open Media, um, Stranger Studios and Nebulous Visions Multimedia are hosting a 48-hour film class. Nice. Um, so I, th- I think it's 10 bucks to uh, sign up and go there, and you can learn tips and tricks on how to get through the weekend. And I, I would do it because those are both award-winning 40-hour film festival uh, participants. That's right. So it's a good class to go to. I mean, how many 48s have you done? I think this year will be our ninth. Holy shit. Eighth or ninth? Uh, yeah, probably ninth. Yeah. So yeah, a vet. Yep. Stop learn, by. Learn from experienced professionals. Heck yeah. Who have stayed up many, many extra hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, uh, July 9th, if you're feeling like it, the Bug Theater is going to be showing Ninja Turtles 3. Nice. Um, what else is happening July 9th? Nothing. Okay. What day is that? It's a Monday. Yeah. So, Monday night. If you want to, and there will be pizza to for anyone who uh, <laughs> RCPs. But that's it's my birthday, guys. <laughs> I'm say, I have an event coming up that day. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> so, yeah. I'll be there. Get my za on. Sweet. 
I'm thinking about like because I have those like 16 inch Ninja Turtle NECA figures. I might like put those on display. Cool. It'd be fun. Nice. Because they, they, I, I bought them and they've been sitting in the box. Cause I have no room to display them. <laughs> <laughs> but they look so good. Uh, yeah. So, and so how did you? How are you pro- doing that? Are you just putting in the Blu-ray. Yeah. And projecting it. Mm-hmm. It's and a- this is obviously free because uh, you don't want to collect any money. So New Line gets really pissed and is like, you can't. Yeah, it's a private screening, but I mean, there's like a hundred seats in the theater, so why be selfish and yeah, only have like five of us? When I mean, it's just basically your birthday party. And it's you want to see it projected largely, and if people want to enjoy in the festivities with you, you're not doing it for monetary gain. No, it's, I'm rectifying an egregious that occurred twenty five years ago. Actually, this is the twenty fifth anniversary really? of that movie. Holy fuck! Um, I remember yeah. the trailer for that. I never saw that one in the theater. So hmm. how'd you not see it in the theater? Because uh, yeah, it's but, only in there for one week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can't see it at home, but Brad's shaking his head at Ryan <laughs> for his complete lack of respect. Um, yeah, no. Like actually, as a kid, like my parents didn't take me to a ton of movies. Hmm. So the Ninja Turtles, the first one, was the first movie I remember going to. Mm-hmm. My mom picked us up after school and took us to the Green Mountain. Uh, movie theater and dropped us off. Like, like, never came back. Never came back. <laughs> Walked home. <laughs> yeah. Like the Incredible Hulk down the road. Piano music. I don't remember thing. growing up where there isn't Ninja Turtles in my life. You know what I mean? Because uh, I remember the, car- the cartoon was before the movie, correct? Yeah. So I remember watching the cartoon because I, I don't know how else I would know about them because I didn't read the comics. So. Yeah. It, was your first exposure to the cartoon? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, it was the action figures because. Mm. It was, uh, it was my brother's birthday, and someone got him, like, Raphael and Donatello, um, and he didn't care about them as much as I, I thought they were cool. Mm. And so as time went on, I just, you know, became the collector of those. And then one nice. day my mom was like, hey, you know, there's this Ninja Turtles cartoon show on Fox or whatever. And then I'd watch that every day, and then she's like, hey, you know, there's a movie coming out. And then we saw both the movies. Nice. Actually, I vividly remember, because, like, as a kid, I have no concept of, like, oh, there's going to be another one eventually. It's just like, yeah. there's a movie. So I was just at the theater, and they had that poster just like on the wall, and then uh, you know saw it. And I was like, "Oh my god, there's there's more of this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I have the same. I was at my mom's house a, a few weeks ago, and she. So we had this all wood toy chest that she would just dump all our toys in, and she dumped it out the other day because she was cleaning stuff up, and in there there's still all the four Ninja Turtles and Bebop and Rocksteady, but they're all beat up to shit. So. Mm-hmm. I used to take mine to the pool, so like they get dunked in the chlorine. But I mean, I so I took I because Donatello is my favorite, so I took Donatello, and then I took uh, Rocksteady because I like Rocksteady more than Bebop, um, and so now they're on display in in my uh, collection. Collection. Nice. I mean, they don't look great because their paints chipped a little bit, but I don't know. It's still still cool to me. And also, my mom kept them. Is awesome. Uh, we lived in the mountains, and so I'd play outside and. For some stupid reason, I would take them and just chuck them down the hill. Yeah. And one time, Toka hit a rock and his head popped <laughs> off. <laughs> so, yeah, I've learned since then. Yes, <laughs> you know it was awesome to notice my mom also. So Kellogg's used to you could send away for little action figures, and they'd send them back to you. And I got the Darkwing Duck ones, and I always I don't know what I did with them, but there was Megavolt, um, Nega Duck, and. Quacker Jack and Gizmo wait, Duck wait, and Nega Duck. Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure you emphasize that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> negative Duck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of heard something else going. Um, but I, I I didn't find any of them except Gizmo Duck. So I have a little Gizmo Duck now too, which made my day. 
Should we move on? I feel like the kids are getting bored. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Fuck them. This is my show. You are all welcome on my show, so you also have to listen to me talk on my show. Welcome to the Real Nerds Podcast. Don't like it? Tough. <laughs> um, yeah. I know my segment, but I, 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 I was going to bring up, we haven't like done a recap of last weekend. No, oh, no, I was about to. I was going to segue okay. because I say, hey, Zach, cool shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, we were at Denver Comic Con last weekend, and uh, very busy. I, I counted up, and so... Uh, usually I do most of the panels. This year I just had too many. I couldn't do them all. Uh, I ended up doing nine. But it's a good problem to have. Yeah, no, it's a, they trust you. And... Yeah, it's a great problem to have. And uh, Zach, you did three? Yeah, three. Three, and James did two. So all together we did 13, I think. Yikes. Something like that, roughly. I mean, there was a time on Saturday um, where you went to see Kevin Eastman. Yeah, I pretty much spent all of Saturday just like enjoying Ninja Turtle stuff there, so... Yeah, so yeah, so we were so uh, I was only in the booth on Saturday f- till noon, maybe eleven thirty, maybe even before that. And I was gone, so I literally went from panel to panel to panel to panel to panel, and I I didn't even see you guys the rest of the day, and um, it is it is awesome. I I had a lot of fun. Um, I had to tell the lady uh, who was great. Her name was Angie. She was in charge of the main stage, and I so I did one panel. and I was running to the Bonnie Wright one. So going from one side of the con to the other is a pain in the ass. And so usually as uh, when you do the big main stage, you have to go through this elevator and they take you down you go to the green room. Um, but I was like, fuck it. So I ran through the, I ran through the theater and I went over on the stage in the backstage and she's like, where are you? Where have you been? You have to be here 15 minutes early. I said, I understand that, but let me show you something real fast. And I brought up my schedule and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I said, no, you don't have to apologize. I just want to let you know, we will always be here. It might just be cutting it close. Don't worry about it. I'll always meet the talent. I'll always make sure everything goes fine promise and she's really appreciated us um did she ever go out into the main floor and see how like because the direction the flow this year was like there was only one way to go everywhere yeah because they blocked off the blue bear side yeah it's weird right um so yeah like all the rows are congested with people just like gawking and like walking con speed yeah um so like yeah you trying to get across from it's hard the complete opposite end of the 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 convention center it's just like yeah even because so with the so the ballroom stuff, the main stage is even kind of pain because you have to go up the escalator and go through where all the Star Wars people are. And, you know, and it's not the con people go to the cons fault. You know, they want to take pictures with Star Wars people. They want to take pictures and they have like an action figure set up thing. I get it. But it's hard and it's it's tons of stress. And, uh, you know, the, and that day. So my my first panel was um, sci fi comics or no action adventure comics, which I already didn't like the um the panel topic because that's hard i mean <laughs> describe to me what action adventure is indiana jones yeah okay now talk for 50 minutes so i had a panel with like six people and i won't name any names brian azarello like would always like kill the momentum and it was really hard so i had uh people like meredith finch who was awesome and uh tony moore who illustrated the walking dead and is azarello a writer or artist? a writer so he's like probably just a heady with ideas. So yeah, so so he did a hundred bullets. He wrote some of Batman Gotham Knight. He also did um, Wonder Woman for the new Fifty Two. Um, so I would ask a question. So I like so this is how I do panels. Talk for about fifteen twenty five minutes, and I turn it over to the audience. Um, so I'd ask a question, and he'd say, "Oh no, get a good artist." Thank you the, for your insight. And then the panel would just stop. <laughs> and then I'd have to think of like another question really fast. I'm like, I, I don't know what to even say. And 
because also I learned early on I don't like to get too prepared for panels because one you never know what's going to happen and you don't know how people are going to be. Um, I'll talk about it a little later and Zach can <laughs> talk about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you just never know. So when I finally made it to Bonnie Wright's panel, who plays Jeannie Weasley on Harry Potter, wonderful lady, super nice. I ran in, I met her, and I said, if that's okay, she said, yeah, that sounds great. Sat down, talked to her. So nice, so sweet. We got off stage, and she told me that was brilliant. You know, thank you so much for getting people going. And she appreciated me bringing up. She doesn't act really anymore. She does writing and directing. She went to film school. She doesn't really want to act anymore. She said she wants to tell more stories through the lens. And that's cool. And she went to school for it. Um, and so she said, thank you so much. And like she rode up on the elevator with me, and she said, you're so nice. And so that was an awesome experience. Um, I, then I, I did another comic book one. No, then I did Giannis uh, Suomata Mato. Suotamo. Suotamo. Suotamo? I don't know. I don't think that's what he said either when he said his full name. Um, I'm just going off of what they were calling out in Celebrity Summit. Yeah. Works. Um, but he was super nice. So he plays Chewbacca, and he was really nice, um, really cute, like always like mentioned his kid. He's from Finland. He used to play uh, – I, I didn't know that he used to play professional basketball. So that's an easy – you know, you played professional basketball. How did you get – to be chewy and he said he knew pretty early on uh through the audition process because they wanted him to act like a caveman and so he said this is weird and they're shooting a new star wars in london where they want me to go and so he kind of put it together that he was playing is auditioning for chewbacca so and the like it was an open call for auditions but they didn't say who exactly the because for. um also uh, a lot of people know you uh brad knows because he goes a lot of Starfest, but peter mayhew who plays chewbacca is almost wheelchair ridden and yeah his knees are all messed his up his knees are all messed up so he can't really walk too much and so they kind of kept it under wraps like you know we don't want to let people know that two people are playing chewbacca and uh, so he he got the gig and he's the auditions were five months long to play chewbacca and it's uh <laughs> and someone asked him a question uh who what part was peter mayhew and what part was him and he said he'll never say he says it's up to you to figure out watching the movie if you can tell um, I mean, I can pretty much guarantee you all the action stuff was probably him and if uh, Chewie was sitting down in the co-pilot. But uh, uh, he's super sweet, and he never wanted to break that uh, illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did the Power Rangers panel, which was interesting. Um, I don't know if I'm going to dish. I don't know if it's appropriate. Well, I mean, you can watch it in, in its oh, entirety yeah, you, online. You can watch so. it in real time. Um, so, uh, so I got there early, like uh, – uh, Angie asked me to. I, I was able to get there because I had like 30 minutes in between the panels. <coughs> so I was able to get there um, 15 minutes early. And I get there, and Amy Jo Johnson, who plays the Pink Ranger, is there. Just hanging out. And I walk up to her and said, Hi, Amy. I'm Ryan. I'll be moderating the panel. She's like, Oh, hi. How are you? I said, Good. And I said, I, You know, usually I um, talk to you for about the uh, same spiel, 10, 15 minutes. I turn over to her. I said, Is that okay? She says, Yeah, that's great. I said, Okay. I think we're just waiting for Jason to show up. And she said, Oh, he's doing this too. I said, yeah. And she said, oh, he kind of looks like mm, today. And she made this face where like pouty face. Mm. I said, oh, OK. And so panel's supposed to start at 320, 330, something like that. 330. And it was 329. Mm. And I look over. And so I also like to give the celebrities time away from me because who the fuck am I? Who cares? Um, unless they want to talk to me. I'll talk to them if they want to talk to me. But I, I stayed away from her. And our good uh, our friend Peter is actually running sound um, behind there. Mm, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so I was talking to him, and then I look over. She's still sitting there. No uh, Jason David Frank. Um, and so I walk over to her again. I said, uh, I guess we're just waiting for him. I don't. I said, what did you want to do? 
She says, she looks at me and says, can we do it without him? I said, if you want to go out there right now, I'll go out there with you. And uh, the handler's back there. said, well, no, we should wait a little bit longer. We should wait a little bit longer. I said, hey, okay. I said, but if she says she wants to go, maybe we should go out for the thousands of people that are out there waiting for her. <laughs> Might be a nice thing to do. Well, it's, said, like, it's especially like a limited time, too. Exactly. Wanna... So, and, and in those main stage ones, you're done. Mm-hmm. You're done. Um, so uh, 335, no show. And so she walks up to me, Amy Jo Jones, like, can we just do this? I said, yep. So we just <laughs> walked out there. And um, she was really nice. And then about 10 minutes into her interview with, with me, he just shows up. So he's 20 minutes late? 15, it's, 20 minutes? It's an hour long. 45 minutes. So, Jeez. So, wow. yeah, pretty close. So when I came out there, so they have a big timer in front of you mm-hmm. because you can't. It's really hard to see the audience in that one. Yeah. it's Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> so it's hard to see the audience. So they have a really big timer. So it usually says 45. I go out there. 29 minutes so so that's 16 minutes Mm -hmm. that we waited for him before he showed up Mm -hmm. so no 24 so yeah it's like 21 minutes late because i was talking to her i don't know you can watch it online i was talking for a little bit she's super nice and he goes out there and just hijacks the whole panel me i don't care because i I like it when they do because i don't have to ask as many questions but you can you can watch the video with her and um you it's not like it's not really close on her. It's not like the Bonnie Wright one that was filmed by. I, and the reason Denver Comic Con didn't put that one up. Uh, uh, you can't really see her face, but she rolls her eyes constantly at him. Mm. And then uh, there's a couple times you, you can watch it. She leans over to me, um, and she's like, "Can you believe this fucking guy?" Is basically what she's saying to me. She's she's like, "Yeah, okay." Is what she she really said? Yeah, the whatever is basically what she's saying to me every time he says something stupid. Because he got really offended when. So they're talking about the budget of the first film was like $30 million. Which it, I looked up and it's not. Yeah. So something like that. And so she kind of corrected him. Like she said, no, it's like $500,000. He's like, no, it's not that cheap. And she leaned over and said, yeah, it is. <laughs> she looked at me. Oh, no, it, w- it wasn't the budget. It was the gross. Like he talked yeah. about. Yeah, I can't remember. He said it like made $100 million in yeah. like 95 or whatever. Yeah. And no, it was like $35 million. <laughs> Yeah. So she would kept on like course correcting him. But he, for some reason, got super offended. And um, well, I think for some for some celebrities, like when they go to those panels, it's not just like answering questions. It's also mm-hmm. about performance. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm, and in his mind, he's probably thinking like, oh, I'm trying to make this panel interesting. Yeah. Uh, not that it's boring, but just like no, no, he's I trying to entertain it. the crowd. Yeah, no, you have to. But she's she's out there to just be herself and like answer exactly. honest questions. So like their perception of what they're doing is like clashing. So it's, it's fun to watch. It is because <laughs> you can tell she's fed up with him. And it, uh, it sucks, like, people would ask her a question, and he'd jump in on it. Exactly. Which is kind of rude. Super rude. And, I I mean, she seemed like she was used to it, and she was putting up with him. And uh, and at the end, there's, like, two minutes left, and he just kept on talking about CM Punk and fighting him. And, like, dude, you're not a real MMA fighter. But he, he thinks he is, and he thinks he's really cool. And I mean, his shoes were like blue spiked shoes. It's fucking weird. And so I accidentally interrupted uh, Amy, and I, I felt really bad about it. So when we were leaving, I said, "I'm so sorry, I interrupted." She's like, "I deal with this asshole." Um, and she's like, "No, she's like, it's okay. You know, he talks all the time, anyways." I was just trying to kill time. I said, "Awesome." So we're leaving. I said, "Amy, thank you so much." I shook his hand too, and as soon as it's over, she's gone. Doesn't say anything to him. Just bolts. Hmm. And I've heard. I'm not a Power Rangers fan. 
but I've heard that the Power Rangers clash constantly and that he would uh, – the Green Ranger, Jason David Frank, used a gay slur on one of the Power Rangers who is gay. And they had like a real fight or something about it. I heard that was a thing, but I didn't realize. It. I thought it was the Red Ranger. It might but... be the, the I thought it was Green and Red Ranger maybe fought. I don't know. I know. Uh, yeah, I think there's a few between the Green and Red Ranger because they're both like martial arts guys. Yeah. Um, and they just had different like attitudes. Yeah. And I mean, here he was, he knew how to put on a show. I'm not saying he didn't, but he did like always overstep on her. Um, and then he always like his CM Punk thing was weird. He went off for like five minutes about how he's not a real fighter. And I don't even think that was a question that was asked. I'm like, what is he talking about? And I even tried to stop him. I said, the only thing I know about CM Punk, he has X's on his hands. He's like, whatever, dude. It's also, if you're bragging about, like, taking on CM Punk, maybe, like. you know, it is, whatever. Well, he has a history with grudges because he kept picking on Amy Jo Johnson for this, like, letter that she wrote him. No, I don't even know what the fuck he was talking about. Some Was it on the show the letter happened? I think I don't remember like the original series that much, but it's not like from the interview that like maybe when they were done with the show. Yeah, like... she wrote a letter because I didn't know too. She, if you listen to her, she actually put some pretty interesting tidbits in. They record they filmed 152 episodes in two seasons. Yeah, so that's how much she filmed, and so she was done. And she tried to say, you know, I'm trying to be in. A, uh, I'm uh, directing. And he's like, can I be in your movie? I should have said, how about me? I can do this. <laughs> I should have been a dick, but I already was planning on being a dick because I heard he wasn't very nice. So the panel said Jason David Frank and Amy Jo Johnson. So when I was going to go out there, I was going to introduce him as Amy Jo Johnson and Jason David Frank just to be a fucking dick. One of those really petty things. <laughs> totally. And then I just wanted to eat at him because I knew it would. But I hope he felt like an asshole because she's, she's like, no, let's go do it. I mean, these people are out here waiting for me. She was super nice and really friendly. Um, and then the Sex in the City guy, Jason Lewis, he was really nice. He's on a show called Midnight Texas. Don't know. Mm. Uh, I know he's in Sex and the City because my wife loves Sex in the City. And so he was really gracious with his time and super cool. And he hugged me and did a selfie so I could send it to my wife. <laughs> um, some people just pick up that vibe like they're a celebrity, but they don't care. And he was one of those guys. It just it seems a down-to-earth guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I'll turn it over to Zach uh, at, with this story. We, um, the last day, I uh, we did our pa- our panel, which went really well. We had a lot of people in our uh, thing, so thank you everybody who came out and saw us. I think it was like a third full. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, James's mom said it was really funny. She just couldn't hear the audience questions. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah. She said, you know, you repeated them sometimes. I said, yeah, I know. I got to do a better job. I didn't even think about that because they were hooked up to their sound system. Um, yeah, and we, but, like we also. Because it was hard to get around, we got there like five minutes beforehand, so yeah. um, I didn't have time to like but yeah, screw out the laptop. It uh, came out really well, and Brad yeah. had some surprises in there. It was a lot of fun. I know. Um, so great job, Brad. Were you listening to it? Like the, the I trolled you with that Iron Man yeah. poster. I was like, <laughs> that was a good moment. It was. It was a great moment. <laughs> Wish I'd filmed it. <laughs> um, so then uh, I bailed out the con. Um, so I'm not going to name names, comic historian. Um, he was supposed to do a panel of X-Men comics. At 4 o'clock on um, Sunday. And he told the con people that he was too sick to do it. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't sick. I'm just saying he was in a booth right next to us and looked like he was totally fine. And he just basically fucked over the con. So I did it. And it was with Greg uh, Capello and uh, Adam Kubert. And they're also they're both really great artists. And uh, Greg Capello was super fun. Um, and he was a guy you want to do panels with. Because you could ask him a question and he'd talk for five minutes. 
He drew the New 52 Batman, Batman with Scott yeah. Snyder, right? Yeah. In so a Court of Owls and stuff. Exactly. So he hasn't done X-Men, he said, in, and he only did X-Force. He hasn't done it in 25 years. So I said, sweet, can I ask you about the death of the family? He said, oh, I'd love to hear that. He says he said it was hard for him to – drawing team books is a pain in the ass. I said – yeah, but towards the end of it, you were drawing a team book because Batgirl, Robin, Nightwing. He's like, don't fucking tell me about it again. He started going <laughs> off and um, and he talked about his working with Scott Snyder. And he says he's like the cutest guy in the world. Um, <laughs> and he's talking about, I don't know if you read the uh, Batman comic, Mr. Bloom. Uh, mm. So it's a villain who's a flower. I've seen the cover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great cover. And he's like, how the fuck am I supposed to make a flower scary? Scott, I don't know what you're saying to me, man. This is fucking stupid. <laughs> and he, he went to this like uh, Scott Snyder impression where he said, no, I mean, you know, flowers, sometimes they just they're really and it was really great. <laughs> and um, uh, Adam Kubert is uh, he teaches at the Kubert Art Institute that his father started. So he's very methodical in his answers, too. He was funny, took a long time. So it was a really fun panel. And people were laughing, and everyone was having fun. So the dude who um, was sick, in quotes, really missed out because those two guys were super cool, and they gave you, like, a wealth of knowledge. I mean, the last 15 minutes, they talked about books to pick up to become a better artist. You know, uh, Capello said, (coughs) you can draw things, but really look how muscles move. Pick up anatomy and do all this stuff. So it was a really great panel. Um, It didn't – it touched a little bit on X-Men. It went more into what they're doing – Adam's working on uh, Spider-Man, and Greg's been working on Batman forever. Uh, so he's doing, I think, Batman Metal right now, which is really cool because he gets to kind of create things. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of fun. I think we did really well. Zach, how was your experience? <laughs> um, so uh, as of the uh, um, like a week prior, I was only supposed to do the one panel, which was um, KJ Appa from uh, Riverdale. Um, uh, but... Um, I think it was the day before. Yep. Um, you uh, were able to score a sweet interview with Andre Gower and uh, Ryan Lambert for the Monster Squad documentary, um, which is called Wolfman's Got Nards, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. You should check it out. Awesome. Yeah. Um, by the way, I feel I feel like an asshole because I did not like engage with the Mervs, like shake their hand and say hi, or like thank you for oh. being good booth neighbors. No, they were, they were awesome the sweetest people. people on the planet. But like, I- I'm gonna give a shout out to Andre's sister Carlina. She was amazing. Mm. Uh, she watched our booth when no one could be around. Yeah. So, but um, anyway, so I got handed two panels um the day before. One was for Tony Medina and Stacy Robinson's graphic novel, um, I am Alfonso Jones, which um I managed to pick up a copy um on ebook um by signing up for Amazon Kindle's unlimited service. So now I have that. Um, so I'll be probably reading more. Um, but the book's amazing, and then I, I so I read it in a night, and then I kept rereading it in the morning leading up to the panel. Went up there, and what was interesting is I don't know what was going on with scheduling because I was or Ryan was listed on the panel because he was initially going to do it, but there was also another name on there, and it turned out to be another moderator. So rather than like, and we, I talked to him, I said like, dude, if you need me to fuck off, I'll fuck off, and he said the exact same thing. So I'm just like. Well, I mean, like, what do we do? Because I'm, like, new to this. And he's just like, well, we can do it together. Do you want to just do that? We'll, like, sit on one uh, bookend them, basically, and we'll just shoot questions from each side. I was like, yeah, sure. So he got up there, did the panel, and I, like, you know, I sung the praises on the book because I fucking loved it. Like, it's a wonderful and very relevant book. I think um, I have a conflict of interest in it. It's probably good you did that one. Well, I mean, it's interesting, like, you know, like, even, like, 
I think you need to read it to talk about it with the panel. Like I know sometimes some panels don't require prep. This particular one, especially with the way Tony was talking about it and the way Stacy was talking about it, like it helps immensely to read the material and um uh because of, because of the subject matter. But the panel went great. Um, I, uh, I like shook their, shook Stacy and Tony's hands and got a picture with them. And then all throughout the con, uh, Tony kept like, anytime I would pass by Tony, he would just like, go like, like, give me a thumbs up, <laughs> which I was just like, that's, that's adorable. Um, so, uh, but anyway, so then the next panel, um, I had to go over to the happy Harbor room, which was down the stairs and across the hall. And there was some kind of miscommunication, I guess, like, cause I texted Brad asking like, is Ryan like still there with them or what's going on? But long story short, I ended up doing the panel. Um, and I got the topic of the panel wrong at the top of the um, the uh, panel, and the author next to, that was next to me, um, who wrote for DC, like did the female version of Shade, I guess. Uh, she corrected me, and then I basically turned the whole panel into look at these five accomplished graphic novel uh, novelists slash women, and then up here at the podium is a sa- sad sack of male disappointment. Um, like basically the tone and then I made them the stars of the panel and like it was only seven people in there but still like you know they're there to talk about their art um I think actually one one of them on the very end I can't remember her name but she was like one of the writers for Wreck-It Ralph 2 and Moana um and it could have been easy for me to just kind of go to that like territory but I'm just like that's not what this is about so um I kind of try to I had to basically kind of lead certain sections of it because there were not that many people and not many questions um so but that panel went fine they they all shook my hand and said like oh you did fine you did fine thank you for doing it and uh saturday was uh just meeting a bunch of um film school friends again and having them come by and say hi um sunday come around we do our panel it's fun it's awesome i enjoyed it and then i had to book it right to the main stage um thank god shout out by the way to um uh steve-o um the volunteer um uh from the uh, for the real heroes, because he got me um, where I needed to go right on time with plenty of time to prep. Um, and I was sitting in the, uh, I sat in the green room and just waited. And uh, Ron Perlman's panel was right before, and I was like, my heartbeat was going because it, it's not so much like having to interview a celebrity. It's more of just like there are people in the audience, and I have terrible stage fright unless it's like the podcast element where I know that I'm like with my friends and stuff. So, um, but so. Ken Reed from uh, TV Guidance Counselor, who was doing the Ron Perlman thing, he goes into the green room. Ron Perlman comes in, grabs his phone, and um, like says goodbye to Ken. And then I'm, it's just me and Ken in the green room, and um, we talked. And he kind of helped take the edge off because he was just like, "I did the Riverdale panel yesterday with the full cast, and you know, like, and we actually had a discussion about like one of the best Archie adaptations actually being Saved by the Bell, which I didn't even think about." ever and now that i think about it it actually makes perfect sense when you look at it um so then i got there uh mr appa was um uh, right there at the stage with um when, when they brought me over to him shook his hand asked him like how do you want to do this and he said i'll follow your lead and, and like outside i said okay inside i was just like that's the fucking stupidest thing you could have said because <laughs> like i shouldn't be allowed to lead anything um so but anyway they get me out there um i introduce him and i I spoke hyperbole about his his performance on the show because it's true. Like he's he is uh, there's a reason why he's got popularity. Like he is really good on that show. Um, like the whole cast is. Like I mean, and I've kept I've, I've kind of watched a little bit more since um, last the last two weeks. But like it's 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 a CW show, so I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep going into it. Um, I mean, who knows? 
But so anyway, I got him out here. Um, and then like he, he flew with everything. Like he, I don't know if he could tell if I was nervous or not, but he looked tired backstage, but then he came on stage and he like the energy popped on. So like, you know, he's been That's doing this. Do. Well, and he's, and he's been doing this, th- this con for three days doing both signings and panels. So obviously he's tired. Um, so, but he rolls with it and, um, uh, uh, I keep looking at the timer trying to kind of make sure I'm following all the guidelines and whatnot. Um, there were some good questions. Like someone actually asked him about a question about a dog's purpose, um, which I, which he's in. And like, um, I was just like, I did not think a dog's purpose was going to come up in the Riverdale Q and a, but here we are. Um, and then the other one was like, if you could take anybody home from, uh, the, the, the Riverdale set, what would it be? And like, he, I don't, I don't know if he understood the question cause he had to re-ask it a couple times just to make sure he was clear with it. Um, and then like a, a couple of people were yelling out Jughead and I just turned to him and I was like, it's Cole Sprouse, isn't it? That's who you want to take home from Riverdale. And then he's, and so he rolls with that. And then, um, uh, I wrapped him two minutes early, like spoke some more praise for him and then got him out. But he, so we got up and he like thunderbolted, thunder, uh, power walked off the stage and just like directly beeline. But his two handlers turned turned around and t- looked at me and said, thank you. And then they turned back around and headed out. And my guess is just like they either had somewhere to be or he was just tired. Like I, I, I don't take it personally. I mean, at the end of the day, like if I was doing what he was doing for three days, I'd be a fucking like, like me. I'd be a fucking tired, tired mess, too. So but he was sweet. I have no problem with it. Um, uh, and uh, it, it the uh, but yeah, so it, it went fine. I mean, like, now that I know how that room works, especially, like, how you select the questions um, according to, like, the way they choreograph it, like, I'll, I'd be much better at it next year. Um, but it was good to kind of break that. Um, it, was, it was not something I ever thought I'd do in my life, which was moderate a panel like that. So it no. was very interesting. Uh, so, I, I mean, thank you, Ryan, for no, letting me no, – for having enough confidence in me to do no, it. No, it's more thank you because um, I didn't look – when they wrote the schedule that they overlapped and I was like, fuck. Um, Oh, I will say though, my favorite part of the con out of anything other than our show, obviously was, um, we did an interview with Brian Cummings, uh, who was two booths away from us. And, uh, if uh, he's a voice artist and, um, the thing that stuck out to me was like, he was the stove in beauty and the beast. And he was also on a bunch of other, other different like animated shows, like from the gummy bears and so on and so forth, like in the nineties and early two thousands and stuff. But I guess he lives in Denver now. And, um, Ryan and I were doing the interview, but Ryan had to go at some point during that interview to a panel, I think it was. Bonnie Wright. Bonnie Wright. So so he starts the interview, he kicks it off, and we're talking about uh, like just basic like basic questions about you would ask a voice artist. And I can't remember what led to this. I, I think it was him talking about his mentor, Dawes Butler, um, but that immediately makes a connection to Mel Blank because like Dawes and Mel worked within that field together for years, with Mel obviously being the superstar. And then out of nowhere, Brian Cummings like tells a Jack Benny story, and like I, I was Jack Benny. yeah no no well no Brian was talking about it, mm. but like it was you and me together, and I looked at the I don't know if you remember the look on your face, but I do. It was a look of you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh man, he just opened up Pandora's box. You no know, kind of like it's a pinhead. Or or my thought was it's like oh my god, it's part of a cult. Yeah. <laughs> so but when Ryan left, Brian and I talked for another like good thirty minutes and whatnot, and then I. Um, I, I, uh, I got his email. I, I sent him a link to Twombly actually, cause he sounded interested in it by the way I described it. 
Um, so, and then of course you did. he's also doing something called the herd out here in Denver, which is they're going to do old time radio readings with other voice actors who live in Denver, uh, live on stage. Um, and it's, uh, so that sounded pretty cool. So I'm, he's going to keep me updated on that, but yeah, yeah. uh, all in all is a really good con. You know, I had a lot of fun. We have a great interview with one of the writers from star Trek, the next generation. Oh shit. Um, <laughs> which actually, and uh, well, one reason why I really like this, she was actually my gateway into the monster squad, even though I think I could have probably done it without this part. So Carlina is Andre Gower's, Andre Gower's sister. And, um, so um, Susan Linden sat down, or Suzanne Linden, however you want to say it, sat down and started interviewing. And um, I started off because she wrote a book series, and it sounds really crazy, and she's kind of a out there personality. And then, because I, I knew she wrote on Star Trek, and she kind of she said, "Do you want to start with that?" I said, "Well, no, let's talk about what um, what we're really doing and uh, what you're doing now." So she talked about her book, and then she uh, then when I segued into working for Paramount because now she worked for Star Trek. She used to work for Paramount. Um, she went and revealed some very interesting things, which is a great interview, which um, hopefully will be up soon. And Carlina uh, was very intent in listening and she told me, and it was a great way to get into talking to her and Andre and Ryan. And she's such a wonderful lady. And this is also, I want to give her a shout out to, I, so I had that interview when Zach covered those two panels with them in the green room. So the media center, uh, uh, the media place in Denver Comic Con. There's two levels of media. There's tier one, which we're not, don't know, and then there's uh, just us, just media people. Everybody else. Everybody else. <laughs> and so they have a media area, and so I'm waiting to interview Andre and Ryan, and so I'm like last in line there because I had an interview before, and so when I get there, everybody's already standing there waiting, and so I was like, fuck, there's no way I'm going to make this other panel. Um, so I'm sitting there and I, there's three people left. And I said, well, can I go in there and sit down and, uh, wait for them? And the lady, not her fault as a volunteer at Denver Comic Con says, no, you're not tier one media. You can't be in this room. I said, really? I said, all right, whatever. So I'm sitting there waiting and Carlina is sitting down at the sofa before you get into the green room, just waiting for one interview to end. She looks over and she says, Ryan, what are you doing? I said, oh, they won't let me come in here. I'm not tier one media. She's she's like, you can come in, come sit next to me. You're with me. So she brought me into the media thing, sat down, talked to me. She's a wonderful lady. She's an executive producer on Wolfman's Got Nards. Uh, Wolfman's Got Nards is a documentary he made. Uh, it's not about, it's not about the monster squad. It is, but it's not. It's about the fans experience with the movie that's changed someone's life and it's resurgence after they, uh, around the 20th anniversary with the help of Alamo draft house. And it's a really moving documentary everybody should go see it right now it's doing the festival circuit um so i think it's in chicago this week so if you're if you have a chance to see wolfman's gotten ours go see it um andre is the director of it it's it's really good um and i just i loved his sister and she was so nice and they were so gracious um he bought a shirt andre bought a shirt from us so uh he bought the last male medium i think because there's the last one on the table um, so he bought that one and he said they were badass. And, uh, cause I said, Oh, I, cause I couldn't find it. I was freaking out. I was like, Oh my God, we don't have any more men's shirts. Yeah. And, uh, so I was flipping. He's like, no, can you guys take an order and send it to me? I said, I think we're doing that. And he said, okay, yeah, let's just do that. And then I just happened to move this one shirt. I'm like, I think this is a medium male. And I picked it up and it was, so he was super stoked about it and he was so nice. And, um, and so, yeah, they're just cool dudes. And then they gave me a signed eight by 10. 
You just needed a napkin for his that, meal. <laughs> and they also signed their uh, their like placard, and he put on it. I'm a real nerd too. Just nice people. I mean, for and uh, the fucker stepped on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So me and Brad are packing up, and I set it uh, near the on the stairs where me and Brad are running up and down and putting stuff in the back of his car in the loading dock. In the loading dock, and these two, this dude and this chick walk and step on it. Just step on it. I'm like, what the fuck? Anyways, um, so they're really great people. Uh, when they come back with, they think they're going to do another tour with the actual documentary. Because the documentary, they show them going to all 17 Alamos in 17 days. So now they're going to go back and show the documentary at Alamos. And they want to uh, hit us up um, for that. And they're really great people. Um, we have the interview with them. And it'll be up soon. Um, I, 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 just, I just really liked them. Um, very nice. For people, and if you listen to Real Nerds Film Explosion 1987, you will hear my number one movie of 1987 is The Monster Squad. You'll also hear me sweep that selection at number five. <laughs> yes, and that's okay. That's okay. You know, I, I don't mind. As um, long as it's on the list. Exactly. It's like Spider-Man with your... Yeah, um, yeah. I don't care. You I mean, haven't seen it. I know. I have to, you have to... I, it's, it's fine, Brad. We, you, you can be a terrible human being if yeah, you want. It's, it's totally great. fine. Um, <laughs> you don't need to see the movie to watch the documentary. Documentary also interviews uh, Shane Black, because he wrote it, so a lot of people that were involved. It's really great. Fred Decker. And Fred Decker, yeah, who yeah. directed it. And he, he said, and Fred Decker says it's his best movie, but he doesn't know how to feel about it. It's a really poignant... I, th- I think it might be the last thing in the film, and it's really poignant, and he said, it's like you take a shot in a basketball game and it doesn't go in for 20 years and you don't know how you feel after it's gone in. Cause you've waited so long for people to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. And Andre, uh, also told me, uh, off our show that he's seen some of the, some of predator. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, um, so all in all, great, it was con. A f- great con. And uh, I got you a button, and yeah. I got myself a button, too. Both Mickey buttons. Yes. So uh, thank you, everybody who stopped by. Thank you, everybody who took oh, time. Oh, hey, Brad, how was your time at the con? Oh, we don't care. Bye. <laughs> you just did fan stuff. What? Let's talk about your Ninja Turtle stuff. Yeah, you met, you met uh, my uh, no. absent father, Kevin Eastman. I, uh, <laughs> on, on Friday morning, I screened Cardigan Sorrow. That's right. In one of the oh, panel yeah, rooms, yeah, yeah. and uh, a bunch of student film people said they wanted to come on and do the 48 with us, so... Um, you were like, still wait for those emails. To work. Yeah. <laughs> Get some PAs on there, and then, everybody uh, work. <laughs> um, and I did the after party uh, thing in the in the main room where I guess the there were like three comedians. Adam Kane Holland was one of them. He did a great set, and then the Aquabats performed, and I had never heard their music before, and that was just fun to watch because I guess they had a they're pretty popular adult swim show or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they, they're funny. So I saw some cosplayers as the Aquabats. Yeah. Well, they also had like a table near us uh, apparently the whole time. So, um, yeah, and then Saturday, um, I've you know I've we've done this con what six seven, seven times now, and most of the time I get to just sit in the back and make sure everything's running okay. So Saturday I took the day off and just cosplayed as Casey Jones, and I, you know, this year I had like most years I didn't have like someone in pop culture that I'm like oh I have to go see them, uh, but this year Kevin Eastman was in my neck of the woods, and I've seen him twice out you know in other cities. And, uh, like the last time was in New York in like 2009. Um, and so like since then, you know, he's, he's jumped on the IDW Ninja Turtles, you know, uh, books and done tons of variant covers that I'll never fully collect. Um, but yeah, he had, he had his own thing there and, um, you know, his wife is there and she's so nice, like running everything like behind the scenes and, uh, 
you know they're, they're great with fans and just open to like signing weird things and uh yeah so i just spent the whole day um getting pulled aside in hallways for pictures as casey jones and then at the end of the day this couple like after you guys left i was finishing like packing up the booth or whatever and they insisted that they buy my mask from me and i tried to like tell them you know it's only 30 bucks on online just go buy it <laughs> um but they insisted they wanted this one so i had to like haggle with them for a bit you know so that was weird weird yeah I'm, I, I kept trying to like Flattering, figure out right? like why do you want this and, like we just want it you know we they want to sniff it at night <laughs> yeah i, I figure it's like some weird sex game or like <laughs> you know, they immediately offered money so i figure it's like this rich person scavenger hunt where they just like prey on poor people like buy stupid <laughs> shit <laughs> and then you know take it back and then they all i don't know that's a great idea for a movie rich a people card. scavenger hunt <laughs> yeah i i it sounds weird but i think it's a real thing <laughs> like some, when you have absurd amount of money like they just do that, weird shit like that. Ryan, that's the family version of the movie 31. <laughs> or if they say Fidelio to you, fucking house. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then Eyes Wide Shut fans out there. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Kubrick? Hello? <laughs> uh, yeah, and then also from Kevin Eastman, I got these. Um, I was first in line. Like I, The first thing I did on Saturday morning was jump. Was he only there Saturday and Sunday? He was there Saturday and Sunday only, but he only set up his booth like, like he, the con opened at what 10 for everybody mm-hmm. and i don't think he got to the booth until 10 30 um and so he had there's no sign but like once he finally showed up they just kind of uh his wife was still unpacking all the boxes and putting stuff on the table but like while i was signing so the first thing she laid out was they had these two like thousand dollar collections of all the all the art he did for the batman ninja turtles combo team up thing and then also, I guess he did some covers for Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. Hmm. So it was like a $1,000 collection of all these. Custom- and then he also had like a scrapbook of the, like the full 11 by 17 like comic pages, which were all in black and white and just gorgeous. Um, but they were like $4,000 for like wow. one sheet for some of them. Um, but there was also just like, reg- like sometimes they publish those comics where it's a blank cover, but it's got mm-hmm. the title and everything on it. And so he just drew, you know, like, uh, each of the turtles, and then like I got the Shredder one because I was first in line, which badass. was badass. That and one's then, maybe my favorite one. As soon as I saw it, like yeah, it said one hundred fifty dollars on the cover, but I was like, original money is no matter. object on this one. Yeah, That's so cheap for original art. Yeah, and then he also did like the second guy in line because he also did like Daredevil and Electro with the turtles, which hmm. isn't a thing I think they've done hmm. professionally through IDW. So yeah, custom stuff like that, like you got to jump on it. Um, yeah, so I scored those books and, and didn't you say too, he said he probably is not going to do another con like this, just stay on the coast. Yeah. Like, uh, on the second day I came back to see like what was left, if I could buy anything else. And, uh, I overheard this conversation where his wife was talking to some fans and like at that point is something about like, yeah, we can't really travel around that much anymore. Um, so hmm. who knows if they'll like. They live in San Diego, so they might just do a lot of like California small cons. Well, hopefully, because it sounds like he's pretty successful here, so hopefully he'll want yeah. to come back. I think every year they do a big tour because one of the merchandise things was they have a T-shirt. It's like a rock concert mm. T-shirt, but it's for Team Eastman, um, and so they have all the the tour dates on the back, uh, and some of them are like Canada and Russia. Um, I think yeah, some Asian countries too. I love turtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> What you need him to do is, if he comes back as 
autograph on your arm, a turtle and his autograph and get it tattooed. Yeah, I told people that story. <laughs> How I screwed that one up. <laughs> I was just bringing up an old wound. Yeah, that's fine. It's all good. <laughs> Live and learn. Um, yeah, and then Sunday we had our panel, which was fun. Yeah. A little distressing that that laptop sucks. No, that's all right. It took so long to it start worked. up, but yeah, eventually worked and that was fun. Hey, I have it. You know, this is that isn't my first panel. But it was, it, it was cool. I, I wish I dressed up as Shredder for the second day. Like, I didn't because I was like, oh, I got to look like us for the panel. But then I thought about it if people had been walking by our room because we also had, like, the double wide room yeah. this year. It, they probably would have seen, like, you three and then Shredder on stage. Like, they'd be like, oh, even more interested to go and, like, yeah. what the hell is this? <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, yeah. We did well. Um, quick shout out. James isn't here, but he had to fly in, come to the panel plan his wedding and still rocked it out he did really well i know he could have just like not done anything friday but he still showed up so we still showed up and still helped us out so thanks james yeah um thank you everybody at the con who has faith in us thank you for coming up even though also thanks for buying shirts oh yeah like we How sold out of all the men's ones and now i know to not buy any women's shirts yep. because the women still want the men's ones yep and people laughed at me for buying so many large sizes but apparently <laughs> i was right and uh people need the large sizes so we got it so mm-hmm. yeah no, great job designing it. I think the, and it helped that they put it in the program. So now we know we can put it in a program because they like your design <laughs> and they like us. And I, I think everybody at Denver Comic Con, they do their jobs hard and they were very nice to us as always. Um, so let's start the show like we do every week. Tell everyone how great I am. Um, oh, that was a long intro. Sorry, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. An hour in already. <laughs> yeah, reminiscing about us. Um, so we're going to unspool some real news. It's real news. Um, so, uh, I'm going to start this off by asking Brad a question. How many Star Trek shows are we going to be getting now from CBS All Access? Uh, whichever ones actually go to development. Okay, right on, because, yeah, this one I'm reading from Alex Kurtzman, the current showrunner, and then Akiva Goldsman, the former showrunner, amongst the things they were developing was a reboot of Picard. Not a reboot, just a, a new series with old Picard, um, but they've done this before with, uh, uh, Worf. Oh, it says Stewart led reboot. Well, anyway, I'm just wondering because I thought Picard was put to rest for something by Stewart, or maybe that's just uh, Xavier and not. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I thought he was done doing his sci-fi character. I've never heard him say he's done with Picard. Yeah, hmm. I think um, it's just the show ran its course, really, right? Well, I mean, they had seven seasons of Next Generation. That's what I mean. Four movies, so hmm. um, maybe no, he has nothing else to prove as Picard. But I mean, if he wants to come back, and I, I can't see him doing like. A whole series? Would you say he's more popular than Kirk now? Uh, no, because the reboots, I think, have <laughs> ignited the original uh, <laughs> series back to prominence. So Can't we just like them both? Um, yeah. And actually, in my what we've been watching, I have a lot of stuff to talk about uh, Kirk this week. So Nice. Um, but yeah, like, I read that, art, like, that report too, but you know, when you have five shows in development, it's like yeah. how many are actually going to make it if even one? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sounds like uh, sometimes to sell an idea, you got to have some like a name attached to it. So, you know, they say Picard will be on it, but, you know, it'll, take, it'll probably take like two or three years to even get it like written but to get to shooting phases. Yeah. And right. who knows where he'll be at, you know, in two years, um, if he'll even want to do it. If he does do it, like, I think it'll be like um, DeForest Kelly, like he's in the first episode of Next Gen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he might be like a part of it briefly, but then it'll just be to pass the torch to 
you know other actors to take on the series okay so i can't i can't imagine he'd be down for like a 10 episode run um okay cool i'm just wondering have they ever done anything like a starfleet academy show Mm, I guess Enterprise would be the closest thing to that. I feel like that'd be like an easy show to like. Well, do. Like it, but for it, years they wanted to sell. For years they wanted to do Young Kirk and Spock at Starfleet Academy, which eventually just became the reboot movie. But um, we only get a certain section of them. Like it's a like, tiny section of the the vast film in general. So yeah, they're not yeah at the academy that long. I mean, it's like I feel like if they did like a Smallville esque show like around Star Trek, yeah, like that would a be CW a pretty, Star Trek. I feel like that'd be a pretty popular. Please don't type bring Star Trek to the CW. <laughs> well, I mean, it'd be a CBS All Access show. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I feel like that'd be right up their alley. I'm surprised oh, yeah. they've not done that yet. Yeah, Ste- steamy, steamy Starfleet sex. <laughs> but I'd like to see them get away from going back into the past. Like Star yeah. Trek's about the future, and everything lately has just been like, what was you know all these characters, but before, mm-hmm. and it's I think it's just kind of running its course. Like Discovery's fine, but. Um, but it's it's beholden to like it's weird because they also they don't have to but they also like advanced technology for like they don't just hold themselves to the original series tropes like they they advance technology and uh characters and like change the timeline so it's it's it, it, i'd rather them just, just jump ahead and just keep progressing and star trek's about progress so it's it's weird that they focus so much on going back and just comp- filling in holes of stories that they've heard before. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, in other news, Kevin Spacey's got a new movie coming out this summer. Oh, but wait a minute. It's one he shot two years before we found out he was a monster. Uh, the Billionaire Boys Club, um, which was a film that uh, also starred his co-star from uh, Baby Driver, Ansel Elgort, um, which is about a uh, bunch of people who get rich through a Ponzi scheme. It's based on a true story. Um, it, uh, they released a trailer and I guess it's getting a limited theatrical and a VOD release. Um, and the North American distributor, Vertical Entertainment, uh, kind of basically said like, look, we understand that he's in it, but that shouldn't tarnish the rest of the, uh, um, work that the other people around him did. So, um, I guess good for them. Um, maybe trailer looked like whatever. But I mean, it's also they probably spent millions of dollars on the film. They're not just going to not. Release yeah, it. I mean, yeah. that's the tough part. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's got it's the got nothing uh, yeah. scenario on well, that. Kevin Spacey's not going to go away. I mean, I I still like Baby Driver. Yeah, well, you know, so he's won two Oscars, so it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of too late to forget him. Not that I want to like defend Kevin Spacey, but like you just said, he's a monster for like hitting on a. Like he, like he hit on that guy, right? Like uh, yeah, I guess. But then there's like actual rapists. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, no, it's more of just like the attitude everyone surrounds it with is just like, oh, he's 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 one of them. Yeah, so. it's not admirable. I'm not defending that. But oh yeah, like, no. I think there's levels of like. Yeah. Well, and also the way he handled. I think it's because he propositioned a 14 year old is like the big. Yeah, that's part of it. And then there's also like how he tries to apologize for it. And how by... did Seth MacFarlane know? <laughs> 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 Yeah, I, I mean, we forget that this also happened to Rob Lowe, and we're still pretty okay with Rob Lowe now. So, mm-hmm. like, who knows what the future holds for yeah, people? It's, Kevin Spacey went away. I don't know if it's time for him to kind of maybe talk about it, see what happens. Because I guess he said he didn't remember it as. I mean, his statement was weird, so I yeah, don't know. Sh- shitty, but yeah. Hmm. But yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Paramount continues to troll Brad as they're going to make a third Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie with their Platinum Dune Steel. So yeah, Brad. Again, it's really early. Um, a lot of well, speculation. Here's we'll the see. thing: is they will make one because 
It's a it's a brand you know. It's a brand everybody knows. They will always make a Ninja Turtles movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been asking me about this, but I feel like it's never going to work because they want to make it, you know, this blockbuster like Star Wars or Marvel like level gross. But I don't like as a fan. It won't. I don't think it's a property that lends itself to that. Um, like it's not impossible, but I just feel like you know, it comes from an indie background. I think the most. Uh, like the biggest we can get is if you like you embrace the Dimension X side of it and go like space hopping a la Guardians of the Galaxy style, um, but then it gets like really far fetched and the budget has to get higher because you have to do a ton of green screen stuff. Yeah, I just don't know why they just don't make a movie uh, with a cool Shredder. The first one's not cool. I mean, if they're gonna make a new one, yeah, you know what I mean because he's a he's an iconic villain. Everybody knows who he is. Make it a badass Shredder fighting the Foot Clan. You could just remake the first one with better filmmaking ability i think (laughs) steve baron did a great job on the first like if you read the comics like he i mean that's a black and white comic and he translated it to and they they made they pulled in some of the you know like the different colored masks and stuff so they embraced both the cartoon and the comics in that movie um but yeah it's it's they're ninja turtles and like the second one's out of the shadows so they're like embraced by the nypd like Keep him in the darkness, like make yeah. them a mystery, you know, not have the shredder. Like, yeah, he's trying to take over the world. But in, in the first one, it's like, I think that's by seducing one, kids and yeah. making them villains. And I think that's, that's why the first one works so well, because it's street level. Yeah. You know, like all this stuff is happening behind the scenes, you know, day to day New York life is going on. And there's like this criminal underbelly. Like, that's way more interesting than, you know, buildings being blown up. And uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. also, I mean, like. My brother's nine, and he loves those films. So it's like... The new ones? The new ones, yeah. So it's like, it might just be that like the new films are for a different audience. Well, that too. I mean, what what the first reboot make? Like $250 million? That's a lot of money. Well, yeah, because they had that freshness of like, yeah. here's this new thing, and you know, what's it going to be? And then they decided they didn't like it, and they still put the second one out. And Even though I think the second one's better, because they the first one tried too hard to be too different. Um and so the second one embracing more of the cartoon really um, helping back out on track. But by then the damage had been done. Mm-hmm. Like you already lost people with the first one um, and they weren't interested enough to come back for the other one. But uh, yeah, I think if they, yeah, if they try to go like a Guardians of the Galaxy route with the turtles and cause there's in the original comics when they started getting like other indie artists on, you know, they have like wild things, you know, going around space and, and encountering like different creatures and mutants and things. I think if, That'd be the only way to go to like a blockbuster level. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, new, newly announced this week, uh, Robert Zemeckis is going to helm a remake of The Witches, which is a book from Roald Dahl. It's my favorite Roald Dahl book. Um, and Guillermo, awesome. And Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuaron will be producing it. I actually think the, the original movie is pretty fun, too. Um, yeah, with uh, Angelica Houston. Yeah, I, I love Roald Dahl. When I was growing up, I loved his books. Matilda, the BFG. Uh, the Witches was my favorite because it was kind of uh, dark and sinister. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's the name of his artist that works with him? I can't remember his name. He's a great artist, though. Very cartoony, but also did a really good job capturing the fill of the books. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that makes me excited. Cool. Awesome. Brian, have you ever read uh, My Uncle Oswald? No. It's a Roald, I started reading it like recently. It's Roald, it's Roald's only adult novel. Hmm. It's, re- it's a very like sex comedy. I think you might be into it. Yeah, you know, I will read it because I'm not a big novel person i read 
really historical biographies, but um, I'll read it because I like I like Roald Dahl. Um, just an update on a story we've been covering since it like first popped up. Uh, Fox has accepted Disney's uh, $71.3 billion bid for 21st Century Fox topping Comcast. So suck at Comcast. So much money. You, you can't top that mouse money. By comparison, Star Wars was $4 billion. Mm-hmm. This is seventy one million. Well, that's so, but it's so many assets, and there's several different yeah, I mean, options. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm making a comparison. Yeah. It's not like, like, oh, uh, that's stupid. It's unbelievable. I mean, you. I was reading a story too that uh, Disney they're opening up Toy Story Land um, this year. The Pixar Pier and the Pixar oh, Pier. God, yeah. this story. And so now they're going to start offering dynamic pricing, mm-hmm. where. They're going to charge you twice as much and only let half as many people in. So they're still going to make the. So if the tickets are $100, they're going to charge $200 for them and only let half as many people in. So they're still making the same amount as money with half as many people in the park. And they're only doing that on certain days because they know people will pay it and they know they'll make the same amount. And they're trying to create a better experience for the people that go and are willing to pay that much money to do it. Which kind of actually does. I mean, I know, like, I know that sounds like egregious, but at the same time, like that park gets fucking crowded. Oh yeah, Disneyland is unbelievable. So therefore, like it, it would behoove them to courting off days like that. But I also heard they're struggling with it too because uh, one of Walt's original visions is anybody can go to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you do that, you're basically putting elites in there yeah mm-hmm. because I, elites I only i don't know i don't know if they'll actually do it but that is one of the kind of things that's floating was, around on twitter i saw someone uh posted uh their ticket from like universal universal studios i think in the 80s it's 10 bucks yeah mm-hmm. um one commented on this story walt disney said i'm fucking dead what does it matter <laughs> um well, if you care about them <laughs> well, i mean it's like one of the also like it costs that much to buy it, and even though they're paying that much money, they're not going into debt at all, which shows how much money they fucking Oh, it's have. unbelievable. Like, it's mm-hmm. you When they bought Marvel for $4 billion, you're like, oh, that makes sense. And then they have one movie that makes $2 billion. Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, those two movies cost, I was reading, a billion dollars to make, but they're already a billion dollars in profit on it. And it's only one of the films. And it's like, one of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, wait. We have Ant Man and Wasp. I'm guessing that one's probably 130 million dollars to make. Around there, yeah. Because yeah, Black Panther, I think, was like 150. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ant Man will probably make around like 300 to 400 million, just just we'll based see. off of hype and whatnot. I don't think it would do oh, the levels of other to. ones because I mean, it's it's I mean, a, it's, it's, it's Ant Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ant Man, but it's also it's, it, it, just because it's quirkier. But who but knows? You know, you're going to make money. Yeah. It is an unbelievable. You know, they're saying there was the story that people oh they might slow down on the Star Wars. Fuck no, they're not. Yeah, oh, Solo is not going to make any money. It's still going to make over six hundred million dollars worldwide. No, but the, the and that news for that matter is just like they're 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 reassessing the spin off films. They came out like, no, we're not. We're oh, still doing it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. we're still doing it. We yeah. don't know what you're talking about. I was like, yeah, there, there's something to cut James Mangold off of Boba Fett. I doubt it. Yeah, yeah no way. They're still coming out. I guarantee you, when Star Wars Episode Nine is just about done, they're like, oh, we're starting filming Boba Fett. There's no way. They're just going to push it maybe to December, not release it in May. Yeah. And they're probably definitely done with like uh, experimental directors. Oh, yeah. So, mm. Sure. So, uh, And then the last piece of news, because uh, we've we've dealt with the travails of MoviePass, and we will definitely be talking about them in an uh, upcoming segment. But um, AMC Theater's subscription service will completely direct uh, directly um, compete with MoviePass. Uh, their plans, um, I read the FAQ on it on their website, and it starts... 
in on Tuesday. I think, yeah, I think this um, week. And uh, basically, it's nineteen nineteen ninety nine a month for three movies um, a week. So you don't get to go every day, um, which, which is movie passes claim to fame for nine bucks a month. Um, here's the thing: I'm more down with this plan than movie passes plan because I can see AMC. I know it exists. I know it's a thing. Movie Pass looks like that kind of ad that I find on a junk website. It doesn't like it doesn't entice me to want to utilize its services. I understand you use it fine. I'll defend it in a second. Right, but you have had problems with them. Uh, I'm pointing to Brad. Pointing to me. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but I I like this one just in the simple fact of like it it coordinates better with it's tangible. I, yeah, to me, yeah, I can I can actually like see it. Um, but I do understand the appeal to Movie Pass, and I know that argument. Um, like of like, well, I can go every day. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But like, wh- what's your job? What do you do <laughs> that you can go to the movies every day? I can't. Yeah, like right now, I, I at most I probably do see like three movies a week sometimes. Mm. Uh, so I'm basically saving like one ticket out of those three. Mm-hmm. Um, does it have anything about food or? Yeah, because it's lumped in with their uh, AMC with their stub, stubs. Yeah, you so you'd become like a stubs premier A lister. So you also get what five dollars every fifty you spend, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, and you get free upgrades. So if you buy a small, you get a medium. You buy a medium, you get a large. Mm-hmm. So you get a large for a small price. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. They, and you don't have to wait in line. Like they have things cornered off. It's like, hey, you can come over here. <laughs> or they have like a separate line for like exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which um, no one fucking honors. Yeah, I mean they don't honor it. <laughs> they don't check it. it. I mean, like, <laughs> I get in the peasant line. I still see everyone else going through the VIP line. Yeah. Motherfuckers. <laughs> um. So, but yeah, I mean, did you I want mean, to defend it? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, like movie. I like Movie Pass. I've had zero problems with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, like I did, like one a regular ticket in New York costs eighteen dollars. Right. So like it like and I see like more than three films a week usually. Well, yeah. And so like. For me, I looked up. I did the math. I've saved five hundred dollars using Movie Pass. Wow! And uh, and like the other complaints for Movie Pass being the whole like you can't do aim, you can't do IMAX or that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Literally last night they revealed that you're allowed to do IMAX now. But they charge you though, right? IMAX. It's like a two dollar plus surcharge. Uh, I, again, the, I guess my biggest problem with Movie Pass too is they constantly change their terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. So I mean, was it for like a month you could only you see one movie a week and you but you got free iHeartRadio or Well yeah, that was only if you signed up at that point though. Yeah, so, so. they're still like, Yeah, fuck the new people. So it's an old thing, like if you have AT and T, they're not gonna give you unlimited data mm-hmm. if you've been grandfathered in. I don't know. I don't know. It's worked very well for me. I've had zero issues with it. Right on. So you know. Well, hopefully, it'll, hopefully, it'll, hopefully it'll stay around. Yeah. And also I mean the other thing about I mean with AMC you can only see AMCs and the AMCs in New York are god awful and so <laughs> But the, yeah. but they're on t- tall buildings. <laughs> uh, the AMC in Times Square has graffiti on the seats, so uh, I don't go. To, and there's also a regal literally across the street from that one. So uh, I mean, it's New York. I expect some street art from some up and coming hood. You sound like someone who's never been to New York. So <laughs> is it graffiti or tag, Henry? It's both. I've only been twice in my life, and I was a child. Um, anyway, that's news. These are movies coming out. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't pick up on the the Last Jedi remake campaign? <laughs> oh shit, that's right. There's a petition going on to remake the Last Jedi. I want them to waste all their money. Not a petition. Oh well, it's an like already a... apparently two hundred million dollar funded remake. Yeah, from... they're saying like we'll fund the whole thing. Yeah, it's Wait, already who's to this? go. Who's funding this? I can't remember. Some I don't, jerk offs who. I want to see it. 
I don't want them to waste. We apparently raised two hundred million dollars for to remake a movie instead of like funding people's cancer you yeah. know treatments. R- or Ryan Johnson's response was a tweet that said, "Please, please, 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 yeah. please." Yeah, I want to see it. I want to see it. Yeah. With that much money, you could open your own film studio. They're going yeah. like. to crowdsource the script, which too many cooks in the kitchen apparently doesn't apply to these people. Um, like I said, I want to see it. I want to. I want to. Actually, I don't want to see it. I want to see that movie get made. Waste two hundred million dollars and those guys jump off bridges because yeah. you're not uh, figuratively because you because you don't agree with a director he got the right response from you then because he made a film that you're talking about just because you don't agree with it doesn't mean it's not a good film. Well, also I, I, like just like business perspective wise, like even if you didn't like it, isn't it the highest grossing film of twenty eighteen uh, yeah. or twenty seventeen? Yeah. So clearly, Disney's not real worried about it. <laughs> no, and that's the thing is. You can sit there and hate all you want on it, but it's still it's my second favorite Star Wars film. So the only the only reason it remains a subject on the internet is because we keep feeding it. You know, it's like that plant in Little Shop of Horrors. Stop feeding it and chop its fucking head off by ignoring it. And do you really think, like, because you've already got two hundred million dollars, Disney's going to let you play with their IP? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it seems to, it seems as if though they've forgotten uh, how the law works. But anyway, also try to make a Star Wars film. Yeah. It's it, this isn't some easy like I'll do it on the weekends watch, thing. Watch, like, watch the director in the Jedi uh, documentary about making the Last Jedi, and then see if you don't pull your own hair out. Yeah, because I, I want actually I want to see them just pull off one shot of a starship destroyer mm-hmm. moving across the screen convincingly. He'll be like that video Brad and I made this afternoon. It's just going to be a toy ship going across a like a black but I, screen. But I'm serious. <laughs> Convince me that you can actually do it because I don't believe you. Also. You think by shitting on the Last Jedi, you're going to get Mark Hamill to join you? And yeah. like, uh, apparently, you think the shots for with Car- uh, Carrie Fisher still work in your movie? Yeah, that Ryan Johnson did. So it's trolls. It's trolls. It's racist, sexist trolls. It's got to be like a joke thing. Yeah, like just to get attention just to idiots. a Twitter account. No, but anyway. So I hope they waste two hundred million dollars. Anyway, I didn't want to talk about it because I don't like giving trolls attention. But that's news. We listen to you every week, Zach. Oh, that's true. Do I hear, hear about Twombly again? Fuck. But but I'm I'm a uh, uh, a mystical troll, not an internet. Gotcha. Troll. Yes. What's anyway. what's coming out on Blu-ray? DVD releases and Blu-rays. Um, we were gone last week, but um, uh, as a heads up, if you missed Pacific Rim Uprising, you can get that on 4K and Blu-ray now. So, do you need to get it? I, I was like, going to say, I didn't see it, but I certainly didn't miss it. So you did not like, miss it. I, I mean, like, if you want to see Scott Eastwood not know how to act, then get it. I like it. I can already see <laughs> the latest Fast and the Furious movie. So. <laughs> um, I just don't buy him as a badass. <laughs> uh, really, the only thing from this week, though, um, is the Benson Moorhead film, The Endless. Um, the guys who did Spring from uh, Draft House Select. That's coming to Blu-ray. Um, no 4K. I don't know if that's uh, neon. It doesn't say, but... Um, or didn't say when I clicked on it, but um, on the 4K front though, um, Groundhog Day in 4K. So if you want to pick that up, you can. Um, Mission Impossible's one, two, three, four, and five are getting their 4K releases. Which sucks. They don't put them in a set, and they're each like twenty-seven bucks. Tom, Cru- like one hundred and fifty dollars for Tom, the set. Tom Cruise needs a boat, man. Wait till Christmas. I, I, I can see oh, that I'm being not, like a. Box. I'm not gonna buy them. <laughs> um, Even if they're like ten bucks each. Well, if they're ten bucks each, I will. <laughs> Also on the cruise front, you can get Jack Reacher on the 4K. So uh, nice. There you go. Um, the rest of the releases, though, are uh, back catalog titles uh, coming from the various specialty labels. 
Uh, Criterion's putting out The Virgin Spring, which is a, a reissue of something they've already done on DVD before. Um, their newest one, however, is John Waters' Female Trouble, which I will definitely be picking up because that's my favorite John Waters film. Um, uh, from Warner Archive, they're re- they're putting out Superfly for the first time on Blu-ray in their archive collection. Um, and uh, they're also doing The Colossus of Rhodes. Um, and then... Moving to the uh, Scream Factory front, The Curse of the Cat People from Val Luton, which uh, I will definitely be picking up. Um, and then also their Pink Panther um, their Pink Panther cartoon collection. Yeah, it's Kino Lorber. Um, it's Kino Lorber? Mm-hmm. I thought Shout was doing it. Oh, never mind. Anyway, Kino Lorber uh, is putting out the Mar- Pink Panther cartoon collection on uh, Blu-ray. It's volume 2? Volume 2, yeah. So, um, sorry, it's hard to see there. Um, Sleepless in Seattle is getting a... Uh, and anniversary. 20, Can you believe that? Y- yeah, Damn, dude, I'm fucking old. Oh, that film's older than me. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, and then some reissues of some Harry Potter stuff, uh, so you can get like in two packs. So I can get Chamber of Secrets and Sorcerer's Stone together, and then Azkaban and Goblet. Um, yeah. I mean, you've got but Ryan's got a better collection of Harry Potter Blu-rays than anyone because yeah, the they're the ex- ones. Yeah. So um, and then yeah, that's pretty much Blu-rays. Uh, you missed Escape Plan 2 is coming out with Sylvester Stallone and Dave 80s. Bautista. <laughs> Apparently, that's not really... What you say, that's not even a, a U.S. production, Henry. That's a Chinese production? China, yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, of course. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and then there's a huge uh, Puppet Master box set. That's not on my uh, Blu-ray.com here. Is uh, it? Yeah, Puppet Master Collection, Toulon's Ultimate Collectible, collectible Trunk Set. Ooh. Those... Uh, I remember renting the first couple ones. Well, you're on Amazon. Blockbuster. Um, There's literally they're no okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically Charles Band. He also did dolls in the '80s, so he basically took the same concept and just made them puppets. One's has a drilling head. One's a doctor with a hook. That's pretty awesome. It's a pretty yeah. cool set. It's a gorgeous yeah. set. Yeah. It's Charlie. Wow. Ba- that's pretty neat for Charlie Band. Isn't, uh, uh, from the room, he's in one of these movies, right? Oh, Greg Sestero, Greg yeah, Sestero, yeah. I think he's in the fifth one, the most maligned one. Yeah, the, the fifth one is they re-edited a bunch of scenes from the previous ones and then shot stuff with Greg Sestero. Yeah, and like integrated it in, so it's basically Puppet Master Greatest Hits. Someone's on, someone on Shockwave saw the newest one at a festival, and he said it's fucking nuts. <laughs> Like, like even more nuts than a puppet master movie is usually. So, all right. Um, I can't remember the exact. Like, all I remember is he's saying it's fucking nuts and it involves Nazi puppets. So, um, but anyway, that's Blu-rays. Awesome. We also watch movies throughout the week in a segment I call "What We've Been Watching." So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what'd you watch this week? Um, let's see. I guess I'll just start with um. So William Shatner came to Denver. Um, and I did. What? I did. I did come to Denver. <laughs> oh, I, I, I guess your uh, impression did not impress Brad. He's like, "What the fuck are you saying?" <laughs> that did not sound like William Shatner at all. Shut um, up. <laughs> you're not helping your cause at all. It's making it worse. Uh, and so they screened uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. In the Great Paramount movie. Theater. Yeah, which is... This one, they, uh, I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention, but this one had... It felt like it had 
extended scenes that I hadn't seen before. Hmm. Um, so like, if you haven't, I, th- I think it's on the Nicholas Meyer director's cut. So there's the subplot of Scotty's like nephew mm-hmm. um, got cut out of the theatrical release. So if you watch the director's cut, yeah, that uh, one engineer guy is actually his nephew. Um, so spoilers, he dies <laughs> in the con conflict. And, uh, uh, after he dies on the table in the, in sick, sick bay, um, Scotty leaves and then, uh, bones and Kirk have like extended, this is the part I I didn't feel like I'd seen before. They have this like extended discussion, but it's all stuff reiterating the plot. So, which I'm like, Oh, that's good. They cut that. Cause you know, they're just making the movie longer without adding anything new. Um, and then he like walks out the door and, but I think the theatrical cut, it just ends with Scotty saying something and they just cut to like the next scene. Um, so stuff like, like there were scenes like that where it felt added. Um, and then, uh, the crowd was probably a little too into it. Cause every time when the movie started, all the credits come on screen and they like cheered for every credit. <laughs> Some like like even the you know editor and stuff, <laughs> production designer. It's like okay guys, we got it. We like this movie catered by Hollywood Eats. Yay! Yeah. Um. And but you know then like the best stuff happens in the movie, and then the like it's cool to see that movie and like audience oh, yeah. cheering and stuff. Um. And yeah, just watching the movie and just like how, just like there's not like a wasted thing going on in the movie. No, it's it's a tight movie. It's a tight movie. It's like just so smart and like the cat and mouse game of like Kirk or Khan gets the you know drop on Kirk and then Kirk finds a way to like counter that. And then Khan <laughs> gets another upper hand. Um, then Kirk gets him back when, you know, the, uh, him and Spock, uh, you know, use the secret codes. And then even after Kirk gets him, Khan like activates the Genesis. It's like, it, that's just a great hero di- di- and, uh, villain dynamic that you usually just see like the heroes conquering in movies. That's the thing yeah. on Khan's arc. I always feel bad for his second in command because he's just like giving all the logical answers, and Khan's just like, "No, damn you!" Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the the whole Moby Dick revenge, like you know, he's the one so bad far. guy in cinema. I feel bad for, <laughs> uh, and also just like using the idea of like when Spock says like he's using two dimensional thinking. Um, you know, he, Khan's like a genetically engineered twenty first century character um, who's hell bent on just like one goal. And Kirk and everyone else is like 23rd century people and like, oh, yeah, why don't we just it's also space. So you're not flying on the same plane. So mm-hmm. it's actually like that's just a, like a smart uh, just a, it's a smart script. Uh, and so then after that, uh, William Shatner comes out on stage. and It's like 10 o'clock at night for this like 80 year old man. And he is not tired at all. Um, and he doesn't look like he's, you know, ready to use a cane. Well, do you think they, like, woke him up? Like, he just took a nap while the movie's going? Yeah, he, yeah, he probably slept most of the day, but... Uh, they defroze him. Yeah. <laughs> During the Q&A, though, like, they talk about how prolific he still is. Like, he still writes books. He still records albums. He's got two coming out this year. Wow. Um, you know, he has a ranch. He raises horses on... Um, how long was the Q&A for? It was about an hour and a half, I wow, think. Wow, yeah, that's good. maybe just an hour. Um, the only awkward part is like he's kind of like one of those guests who teases the host, and the host doesn't know how to like recover. Um, so at times, like William Shatner's is making like weird jokes, and the host doesn't know how to like deal with it. So that's kind of so he doesn't tour with a guy who's like normal with him. Is you... I I don't know. Apparently, like uh, the the guy who was doing is like a Denver 
like mm. celebrity, but I didn't know who he was. He's either like a writer for something or dealing journalist. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, it's he's it, it, like a guy who comes in for like any gotcha, celebrity gotcha, who comes gotcha, into gotcha. the Paramount. Um, so yeah, but you think he would have like his own <laughs> Shatner? Like Shatner has his own guy for was this. It sold out. Uh, I didn't really look look at the audience, but it it seemed like it. Wow. Um, maybe the front rows weren't full because it was probably like a hundred to two hundred dollars for those seats. So, I was in the mezzanine. It was like uh, eighty bucks. So wow. Yeah, I, I would do that if I was William Shatner. <laughs> How much money you can make just doing that? Yeah. Wow. Um, but it was cool. Like this, you know, definitely an opportunity. I think now I've seen all the living original cast members in person so but yeah it's something where you're like you know yeah it's 80 bucks but how long is he gonna be around so you gotta do it oh yeah i mean and i'll yeah. say that like william shatner for a man who's 80 years old he looks incredible yeah that's what i'm saying like he's really spry like um he comes out he like uh he got a standing ovation immediately right um but then he like sit down for the interview but then you get up and like walk around the stage to tell the stories um and so uh when you go in you had a chance to like write down a question on a card and they collected them then he the the host would pull some out um no one really had any like great questions and often they would ask one but shatner would tell a different story for it (laughs) and not really answer (laughs) it's like i've heard this i've asked been asked this question before good for him but some of his best stories were talk uh he did were uh he was playing pranks on deforest kelly like on i think the (laughs) fifth movie um and DeForest Kelly, he was the first of the cast members to die. Uh, I think it was 99. Uh, so, yeah, in the 80s, he's already, like, really frail and old. You, you can see in the movies, he's, like, skin and bones. Oh, yeah. Um, Pun. <laughs> skin and bones. I didn't intend that, but yes. <laughs> Good thing you got that. Um, so there are craft services, and DeForest Kelly, um, I think the day before, he comes up to William Shatner. He's like, you know, I don't think I can can do these scenes anymore like i can't remember the lines as, as well and i think i'm losing my cognitive abilities and then uh so the next day craft services william shatner sees uh deforest kelly like make a bagel put it in the toaster and then he like shatner finds one of the other cast members and tells him to distract deforest kelly for a bit shatner goes over empties the toaster throws out the bagel and then divorce Kelly comes back and he's like confused. Like, I swear I just put a bagel in the toaster. That's mean. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so he cuts one out, cuts another one open, puts in the toaster and then gets someone else. Uh, Shatner gets someone else to like pull him aside and distract him some more. Shatner goes back, pulls out, <laughs> empties the toaster again. Divorce Kelly comes back, starts to have a crisis <laughs> and then realizes Shatner. <laughs> Damn it, Jim. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, someone asked a question, but this wasn't the proper answer to it. He talks about how uh, he, so they had to, like, most of the original series was filmed um, in a studio, but uh, on the rare occurrence, they could actually go out on location and film, like, I guess the San Andreas Desert or whatever is very alien-like in the Mm -hmm. series. So they go out there, and then, but in order to, like, the best lighting is sunrise, so he has to be like up at 4 a.m. to drive an hour out to the desert. Um, so he dressed as Kirk before he does the drive. Um, but he also likes to do 100 miles an hour <laughs> in his car. So he's like driving to the desert <coughs> wearing his uh, Kirk costume, um, you know, doing 100 miles an hour. And he gets pulled over. Um, 
and then this cop uh wearing sunglasses at night for some reason <laughs> you know approaches him asks for his license registration looks at him makes the connection um and asks him you know, like uh, where what's the deal what are you trying what are you trying to do and uh shatner goes like i have to get to my spaceship <laughs> <laughs> um and then yeah just uh you know goes back to his car does the check and it's like gives him the nod that you can yeah you can go i would yeah if i pulled over william shatner and told me he had to go film you're good to go yeah so yeah uh so that was cool did the yeah. cop ask can i go with you and he said you can't our next stop is the 23rd century <laughs> nope <laughs> damn it uh i i've this is the first time i watched hellboy 2 really yeah first time ever after you talked about it on the the top three comic books on our live show uh, it popped up on my netflix so i i watched it and it's okay i can predict <laughs> netflix things yeah no, no, so no really they listen to our podcast and so they're like how they do yes. this, how this get made so that's why they're they releasing that up. orson welles movie yeah exactly <laughs> um but really not 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 uh, superb for you or just... it just didn't like it, like i it's the Visual aspect is cool, but I just didn't think the story was that interesting. Okay, um, and it, it had a lot of a lot of lulls in between. This is Hellboy two, Hellboy two, Golden right. Army. Yeah, yeah. Um, to each his own. I like it. Yeah, I'm. I can see where people would like it, but I, I just couldn't get into it. Mm. I just, yeah, same thing. I think the production design, the creatures are cool, but yep, that's about it. Yeah. Um, and then uh. I also revisited um, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the the Ben Stiller one, and I watched it in theaters, and I was like, oh, "This is okay." But they had like one of those uh, digibooks at Target, so I bought mm-hmm. it um, and hadn't watched it until now. And revisiting it, like I really enjoyed it hmm. for some reason. Um, I've heard it's a movie that gets better as you like keep watching. It, it. does. Yeah. Like I, I watched it the second time with. Did I watch the second time? I think I watched the second time with the director's commentary mm-hmm. or the producer's commentary. Uh, but just like, I wish I'd seen the original so I'd have a reference point to compare it to because the one with Danny Kay. To, yeah, to I mean, in this one, um, so the Secret Life of Walter Mitty is uh, Ben Stiller plays Walter Mitty, and he's kind of um, so, something happened in his life where he kind of gave up being adventurous and just settled for a desk job, and as a result of that, he is constantly like daydreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and the start of the movie, he has this crush on this like newly hired uh, person. He works at Time Life, and the magazine is going under, so they're going digital. Um, so Adam Scott plays Beard Guy, uh, the new executive hired to lay off a bunch of people. Um, ben Stiller works in the photo department, so he processes the photos by a famous photographer played by Sean Penn. Sean O'Connell, I think, is the character of the movie. Um, and so they need... He, Sean is shot... Uh, a photo that's going to be the last cover of the magazine. But when all the prints show up, number 25 is missing, even though Sean says it's part of the collection. So Ben still has to be like, where's this photo? Mm-hmm. And Sean is a photographer who's not like, you know, connected to social media and digital and stuff. Like he mails things in. So uh, Walter Mitty has to figure out how to get it. So as Walter's trying to deal with this crisis, he's constantly slipping into uh like his head and imagining all these scenarios uh which early on they're like really kind of over the top 
like the first one that happens, he's he's talking to his eHarmony profile guy, which is Patton Oswalt, by the way. Um, and he just launches into like he looks at a building and suddenly it's on fire and he like just jumps off the uh, elevated train into the window, rescues a dog, runs out, gives it to Kristen Wiig, who's the uh, the, the girl who got hired. Um, and then later on, he fights a uh, beard guy over a Stretch Armstrong doll and they're like sliding through the New York streets, tearing up asphalt and like doing this like Marvel <laughs> level like fight scene. And it's just really weird because the second half of the movie, as he goes on the adventure to track down Sean O'Connell, like narratively it makes sense because as he's connecting with his adventurous side, he's losing the ability to like fall into daydream sequences. Um, but at the same time, like it's really a weird contrast to what you just saw earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure like the angle they're going for is that like your own life is more can be equally as adventurous as like a fictional life or something like that. And so, yeah. You don't have to daydream to like yeah, to live a wonderful life. Yeah, yeah. Like just get out there and things will happen and you'll just fall into it. Um, but it, it, the, the early ones are just so over the top. Like I, I imagine the original movie, it's probably just like lavish production design. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this one, like it's full out like action sequences and stuff. Well, it's, it's not like, I think the key the key difference in my opinion is the story because it's like it's just and it's elements of the story um and also how they like play different characters um like in terms of like um uh, just like who, who he's really interacting with to a degree but like I mean the the principle is the same um in the ol- in the older film like essentially like there are, the both of these films are um adapted from a James Thurber um short story so which if you watch the bonus features they talk about how he didn't like the original movie apparently oh i would imagine so they they changed a lot <laughs> but it's because it's like loosely based on yeah. that story um but yeah no um i mean like I, it's been years since i've seen the original walter mitty yeah. so much so the when the trailer came out for this remake i was just like oh i remember that movie one time cool good for ben and then i just didn't I still haven't seen it yet, so I yeah. may have to borrow it from you or something or get but that Target one. One of the small touches they add to it, though, is, like, I guess the, the motto of Time Life um, is I, – I forget the actual words right now, but it connects to, like, being adventurous and, like, uh, you know, traveling through life. Um, and they – like, that reinforces a lot of what uh, happens throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And there, there's parts where they um, include – like text in the background, mm-hmm. like the mottos there, and then other parts when he like finally jet sets to Iceland, um, like through the airport terminal. There's like different mottos that appear, uh, like in the marketing, like all the advertising that's in the story is uh, repurposed for the the theme. And so, yeah, and by the end, it, it's really like poignant and stuff, and I appreciate it more than I did when I first saw it. Cause I'll have to watch this one. Yeah, and I haven't seen the original one in years, so I'll have to. Maybe that'd be an interesting back-to-back comparison. Uh, and then uh, at the drive-in, I saw Incredibles two. Uh, which are we going to do our own episode for that? Should um, I say that? I don't know. Maybe. Did not. anyone else see it yet? I haven't seen it. I've seen it. You seen it? No. Okay, maybe we'll just save. Like we'll pair it with whatever is coming up once you guys see it. Whatever. Um, I guess in general, I'll just say that it was. I thought it was okay. Um, same uh, like the, the original I'm, I was all fine with too um, it, it didn't blow me away like other Pixar movies but 
I like the original more than this one because I feel like narratively it jumps around towards the end. I mean, like my thing with it is that like the first one felt like uh, like it had a purpose, like it was trying to say something about family and strength and that kind of thing. Whereas this one feels more like an episode in an Incredibles TV show. Yeah, like, there's not really a point to it. It's just like it's just an adventure. But and so I think the the strongest point is like trying to balance work and family. Well, yeah, I want I wanted there to be kind of like some kind of message about like. You know, the stay-at-home parent is just as important as, like, the working parent. Yeah. But they don't really do anything with that. It just kind of ends up being It ends, more like, f- halfway through. Yeah. And then they go into the screenslaver part, and then the screenslaver is, like, not that interesting. It, yeah. It's also, I mean, what screenslaver ends up being is very obvious to me. And so, like, the moment, like, like a certain character when is shown. you find out who it is. Yeah. I, I didn't want to be, like, if there's, like, a twist or anything. But, like, the moment you find out who screenslaver is, it's like, well, yeah. Like, <laughs> And I, it feels like they... they like they do keyed up for you, but when I watched, it, I was like, I don't know why that's that person. Like, yeah, I mean, it was little things like it doesn't make sense why it's that person, but like I, knowing how story structure works, I was like, it's probably one of these two people. And yeah, so, well, I thought it was both, but um, well, yeah, I mean, that, I thought so too. I do like the idea of that one of them is not the evil one, but yeah, but it was it was just weird. Like, I, yeah, yeah, the ending it was didn't not it didn't feel all that cohesive. Yeah, and um, I saw it with like my family, and my mom was like. Just take the glasses off. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not that hard of a thing. Like, yeah, I guess they eventually do. Yeah. They have to have them knocked off. Um, and then the second movie paired with that was A Wrinkle in Time, um, which I've heard very weird things. It is. It's like a Christopher Nolan idea mm-hmm. that they're trying to have kids. I don't know how a kid actually follows this movie. Um, and I I got so bored I fell asleep in parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the movie, the dialogue is just like believing yourself over and over again. You are a warrior. Yeah, you're a warrior. Like you have the power. Believe in yourself. Just like for an hour and a half straight. Well, I mean, the book is really out there, and it's why they really haven't succeeded in making a film of it like yet. Uh, I've not. I've seen bits and pieces of it because my brother has watched it with like my parents, and my my parents were just like, and, and like my parents didn't like it, uh, but they were like, the kid acting in it is just some of the worst act performances like yeah like i woke up at one point and i guess her little brother the, is uh, Asian evil I, yeah like he's suddenly the villain of everything i mean i don't i, I just heard my parents were just like most of the acting was okay but there's like this one like nine-year-old asian boy in it who's apparently just the worst actor on the planet yeah i don't remember if he was asian or not that's how much i was able to pay attention my, i mean my parents only mentioned that point because he was like he's supposed to be their brother but like the siblings are all different races somehow, mm. and just it doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, I'll and check then, it out at some point still. And then and like, there's a lot, like all this sort of, like trite good versus evil uh, dialogue yeah. that you know, you know, there's this darkness creeping up on the world, and only you have the light to save it. And it's like, why? Can it be more than that? Anyway, yeah. so I I did not dig that, but I also didn't see all, all of it. So. Probably Might not be fair. better if you're high. But, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the production design is just, ugh. I was never intrigued by the trailer. It just seemed bland. It's it, Also, a lot of the scenes are just like, here's something weird and cool. Here's another thing that's weird and cool. It looked like a, like a very heavy, like, special effects reel kind of film. Yeah, like a demo reel of, yeah, like, yeah. hey, we can do this. Yeah. All right. We can change these characters into these weird things. We just because. Like, I mean, I've seen, like, some of the behind-the-scenes videos of it and, like, how proud they all were of it. And I imagine, like, the film was actually, like, very difficult to make. And it, I'm, from what I've seen, it looks pretty good, like, in terms of, like, the special effects and that kind of thing. Mm. It's a shame that just the final product didn't end up being as great as it could have been. So. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. What else? If David Lynch was ever going to make a kids film, that should be his adaptation. <laughs> and then the last thing I saw, I saw with you two. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it was Gotti. Movie Pass. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I paid for that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't a Movie Pass like? It's a Movie Pass venture. distributed. It's their movies. second film they've made. Yeah. So. And uh, yeah, Not making the best choices. Movie Pass. <laughs> like. So well, what? Not, did... Yeah, probably. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's like zero percent worthy, but uh, it's definitely the most like oddly edited movies I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, especially this year. And then also, it's so matter of fact of like, there's no nuance to it. It's just like, yeah. Gotti did this, and then Gotti did this, and here's a little text for like every two yeah. or three minutes to show you where they are mm-hmm. where they are who they are and what they're doing on screen <laughs> and who are around them there's several chirons to tell you about people that don't matter to the story later on yeah and then when it gets to the end of the movie it finally realizes that oh we we could also jump back in time back and forth and also like find a theme a father and son theme mm-hmm. to this movie mm-hmm. um yeah yeah there's there's zero consistency there's zero through point um, it's it really wants to be Goodfellas so much. Like it's closer to a documentary than it is. Yeah, yeah. in in the weirdest possible way. And the way they cut to news footage um is awkward. Awkward is all heck, to, in my opinion. Yeah, stock and, and, real footage. And, and, primarily because like John Travolta doesn't really look like him. Like, and so it's kind but of. But it, it, it but doesn't he matter acts if he, really well. Yeah, it's funny. His it, performance is really good. It, I'd say uh, that though. Out of anything in the film, it's it's Travolta. Like that's the that's. He's been wanting to make this film for 10 plus years. There was a point when Lindsay Lohan was going to play like his daughter, I think. I don't know. I don't even remember seeing a daughter of his. Like I think at the end of the day like it, it, the, the director by the way is Kevin Connolly who uh, was E on Entourage. Um it, I don't uh I don't understand how you can like like assemble such a mess like if you tell you how they did it well (laughs) i mean i I met kevin Connolly while they were editing the film well well okay aside from like your story but it's just like how do you get to that point like what happened from the moment they went into pre-prod to now to like like it seemed like there was no vision going in as they shot and that's why they ended up at the point that you described well i mean from what I like, cause I met him because the producer of the film is an alumni of my school, mm-hmm. and uh, I got like on like a trip with my school to meet alumni, and he was one of them. And then we just happened to go in the room with Kevin Connolly while they were editing it. Right. And that producer, uh, he's known for doing like really low budget action directed DVD type stuff that like they shoot in the Ukraine, so it's the cheapest, and they shoot it in like three days, and then they just shove it into an editing station, and then it's done. <laughs> uh, and I, I imagine like he was the highest name producer on this film and so I imagine it's kind of what they did with this approach as well and then when we met Kevin Connolly Kevin Connolly I'll say very nice mm-hmm. he, he, you could tell that he really wanted to make it good but you just, I think with this kind of story it's someone that you need to have like a really good director to do with or a budget even I guess yeah but like but like when I was there he like they were editing it and then like on the back board they had this big white board that had all the scenes as like note cards like in order of like how they're going to edit it and he said, like, yeah, we've just been, like, rearranging things and, like, push, putting them in different kinds of order to see, like, if it would work and what that would be like. And that's kind of the biggest problem with this film is that there's no coherence and there's mm-hmm. no line throughout it. It's just, like, yeah. it's a bunch of scenes in a movie that don't really connect to each other. Yeah. And, I mean, like, look, I mean, 
I I agree with Brad in the sense that like I don't think it's zero percent bad because like you again you have you have Travolta's performance working in your favor, mm-hmm. but that's like a fraction of the film. Well, I mean, well, I I thought that too. Like, because like when we left the theater, we were like, yeah, it's not zero percent bad. But then I thought about how Rotten Tomatoes works, mm-hmm. and Rotten Tomatoes is either it's good or it's bad. And yeah. I can't think of anyone who's a professional film critic that would say this is good. Yeah, it's, I can see someone saying it's passable, but I can't see anyone who's a professional film critic who sees movies for a living saying this is a good film. And I searched podcasts of like just like armchair critics, kind of like us, mm-hmm. who like sit down and like discuss the film and. Some of them liked it and whatnot, like, or, but they also had problems with it. Like, they, no, no, no one ever not had something bad to say about this film. Um, and like, I mean, for me, like, the most jarring thing outside of hearing a Pitbull song four times in that film uh, was it seems like everyone around Travolta and Ripa just isn't having any fun or has no acting ability. And that's not an insult. It's just that, like. The scene I point to is there's a scene where Gotti's son and Gotti's uh, son's friend and Gotti's friend are, like, all in the house. And then Gotti comes into the room and starts smacking the shit out of his kid, going, like, you fucked up, you fucked up, you motherfucker, you cocksucker, wah, blah blah. And then he leaves, and, like, there's that's the only, like, real energy we get. And then after that, like, Gotti's friend goes, like, what's the matter with you? Don't you know how much he does for you? Like, in the flattest tone that I've ever heard. And I was just like, that's a weird way to respond to like this situation. Another scene, which is just with Ripa and Travolta is like their son has just been killed in a car wreck and she's sleeping, uh, like whacked out on pills in the bed with the curtains drawn and Cotty, uh, opens up the, the, the curtains and just says, says like, you got five other kids to raise. So I'm going to make some coffee. You get out there and you be a good parent, which I'm like, that's weird writing. Like for, a, for like for a moment in the film where you had the potential to like push some real drama, like you basically took the entire movie of Rabbit Hole with Aaron Eckhart and Nicole Kidman and turned it into a wake the fuck up moment, <laughs> which I was just like, this is ridiculous. So I, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I have no desire to rewatch it unless Riff Tracks did something with it. Oh shit. Like that might be, that might be interesting. I also didn't enjoy like it felt like the movie was a little like redemptive of Gotti. Like for no, God, by the end of the it film, tries, like, like, but it doesn't have any. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Like oh, he had cancer and he died in prison, so like let's humanize him a bit. Like no, but it's also I mean they do this thing with both him and his son where it's like they're both actually really good guys and they don't did, they never did anything bad when the entire film you see them murdering people so it's like yeah. I don't know if that really works. And I get them showing like okay yeah I'm sure uh, like uh, a bunch of people in New York City did idolize him. Oh no well that's the thing cuz you can just show that but the other parts were like yeah they're like humanizing him like oh yeah you like father son like relationship. And, oh, and like that's nice. what I was saying like or I think a, a more talented director could do it where if like cuz that's what makes him interesting is that he gave so much back to the community which you never see in this film. They just like show some archival footage of it so i almost feel like because I, I i my opinion of black mass has changed over the years since it was released but maybe scott cooper could do a, a decent job at Gotti because Gotti's a little more of a flashy figure than say a frank whitey bolter mm-hmm. so maybe you can kind of like back off of your normal dark trope a, a wee bit and do a really good Gotti story um but like i don't think this was I, this obviously wasn't going to be it um, and it uses songs in weird places too. It's 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 
as we've said, is interestingly edited. I I feel weird having paid 12 bucks for it. I should have gone in the morning to see it because I had to see it. I was curious. I'm just like, why is everyone bitching on the internet about John Travolta again? Uh, but yeah, no. I will say that there are seven people on Letterboxd that gave this five stars. One of the reviews is, this was so good. Best film I saw at cons, for sure. My bro E from Entourage knows how to make a good movie with Mr. Worldwide providing a banging soundtrack for these wacky fun mobsters. It was Liddy Titty. Five stars <laughs> like. so. <laughs> wacky seems like mobsters and Liddy Titty. <laughs> was trying on purpose. Well, there's also the one above it is Meatball Meatball Spaghetti Underneath Ravioli Ravioli Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> Five stars like. So. <laughs> Henry, really quickly, ask me what I think of Citizen Kane. No. Just, just, seriously, just ask me. What did you think of Citizen Kane? Well, it's obviously Liddy Titty. <laughs> um, oh, boy. But yeah, Gotti, don't see it. Yeah. yeah. And la- actually, the last thing I saw was Rift, tra- Rift Tracks Live uh, for Space Mutiny, and that was a ton of fun. It was a live telecast thing. Nice. In the theater, before Gotti. <laughs> so, probably should have called it a night there. <laughs> Oh boy, Henry! All right, cool. I'll try to make mine quick. Um, so I started a new series, uh, weekly series for review for r- written stuff uh, called uh, Keiju Waifu. It will be uh, essentially not reviews, but more detailing the history of the Godzilla franchise from its conception to where it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's less review and more kind of historical kind of context of stuff. Uh, part one came out on fr- on Saturday, and that was primarily that one followed uh, first with uh, the Lost World. A 1920s film that had monsters in it that kind of inspired the director of King Kong to make King Kong. Then we go into King Kong, which is King Kong. And then after that, we went to, uh, that same year, a uh, very successful King Kong was. So they made a sequel within the next month. Son of Kong. Son of yeah. Kong released that the same year, which isn't great. It's what's more interesting is that the, the entire cast and crew returned for it, which is kind of rare for those kinds of things. It's an enjoyable piece. It's but it's it's not as good, but still, if you if you're desperate for a movie, which you're not, you can watch it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> When it gets interesting is that there was a very small production company in Japan who saw those films and were like, we should do one here. So they made uh, King Kong and Edo, uh, which is a King Kong film in ja- Japan. Unfortunately, that film was lost during the war, so you can no longer see it, but you can see kind of screenshots of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from that, the guy who made the costume for King Kong was contacted by another company to be like, hey, can you make a costume for us about a giant lizard? And then he was the guy who also made the uh, first Godzilla costume. And then, we, and then I talk a little bit about Godzilla and kind of the history of that and how it really is not a Godzilla film and more a very anti-war film instead. Uh, so if oh, you want to yeah. read more kind of in-detail stuff about that, you can look at, uh, read part one. Next week we'll getting into more of the spin-off type stuff as the director of that one was very reluctant to return and make King Kong 2. So, uh, or uh, Godzilla 2. So, yeah. It's a good article. I've already read it. You should check it out. Uh, but yeah, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, there are 70 plus films that I'll be watching for this. So... Uh, here we go. That's why I'm reviewing five at a time, not one at a time. Um, Thanks for making the website relevant, though. I appreciate it. Oh, it's fine. You know. Not me. I write an article that I wrote like once a week. Yeah, but now there's two people writing articles once a week. So people. You'll begin the next Clinton article this week. So uh, I also, just today, I got back from uh, Gosford Park. For time I've seen it. Um, one thing I just want to compliment uh, Steve, who is the best person that works at Alamo, because uh, someone else introduced this film today and did not... I don't want to hear your 20-minute story about your dog. I just want to watch the movie. Where Steve knows he's going to come in, introduce the film, and get out. It's very good at his job. Um, then I, wa- I saw Tag, which is a very fun comedy. Not my favorite comedy of the year, but still very fun. Uh, if you uh, want to check it out, I definitely re- would recommend seeing it. I saw Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, which is very good. It's uh, 
sets the bar pretty high for best documentary at the Oscars this year. I don't see really anything else coming in and stealing it at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've looked into some stuff, but I don't really see anything else that could possibly beat it. Wolfman's uh, got nards. Yep, <laughs> it'll be it'll be oh. battle of the century. Um, but uh, yeah, I would def- if you're if you're tempted about seeing it, I'd definitely check it out. Yeah. Uh, most people in my theater were crying throughout the entire thing, so uh, bring some tissues. Um, and I think that's about. Oh, and then I saw uh, Hotel Artemis, uh, which I thought was fun, but that's about it. It's one th- one film that like no one's gonna see it in theaters, and then in nine months <laughs> when it's on Netflix, people are gonna be like, hey, and they're gonna like it then. I will say, Charlie Day is in it, and Charlie Day is surprisingly very hot in the film. So, uh, if you're into that, I mean, I'm not into Charlie Day, but this film made me into Charlie Day. Very nice. sexually attractive in this film. So, yeah. And, uh, Was that's he sniffing about. paint in it? No, he's, oh, wow. he's an arms dealer, and he's, he wears this really fucking hot shirt. Uh, but yeah. And then, fi- rule finally, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it to give it too much attention, but The Kissing Booth on Netflix I watched, because my sister told me to, it is a really fucking bad film. <laughs> it is a high school romantic comedy that is legitimately written by a 15-year-old um, and idolizes abusive relationships. So, good. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then, like, he hit me, but then I was like, oh, no, I've got a Spanish quiz. Finally, the hot take. <laughs> abusive relationships are good. <laughs> <laughs> don't get that very often nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a Philadelphia story. Uh, it's a film that I'm surprised did not star YouTubers. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, but that's all I watched this week. So nice, Zach. Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, rewatched Justice League after the con. Um, I had more fun with it this time around, having separated myself from the DC EU thing and whatnot, and just enjoyed it as what Brad had described earlier in uh, last year as a uh, like its own episode of the Justice League TV show, kind of but just for theaters um, or something like it's, it's, it's better as its own thing. Essentially. It's like, a, it's just a justice league cartoon, but live action. Like it doesn't need the multiverse connecting nonsense. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I said but, that. You, you <laughs> take from Zach. Yeah. I mean, you did like, I, I okay. heard you this in the car. Um, but so yeah, I had more fun with it. Um, I, but it's problems are still obvious to me. Um, it's, it's still too short uh, for the story they're trying to tell to a degree. And, the um some some of the stuff like I I'm still wondering I guess I need to I can't wait to see an Aquaman trailer because I want to know how they're going to do the talking underwater thing because the bubble thing was still feels weird to me, um and then uh I mean yeah it's it, it was much more fun like it the Blu-ray is ten bucks on Amazon right now and I ordered it yesterday so I'm just like I, I I'll own it why not I think they're waiting for San Diego Comic Con to drop that trailer yeah, I think so too James yeah. Wan announced he's going to show it at Comic Con the cool. twist is that the entire film is silent. <laughs> I did talk to an Aquaman super fan at our craft beer dinner, and the only problem he had with Jason Momoa as Aquaman is he threw a bottle into the ocean mm. when he's uh, mm. talking to Bruce Wayne. Guy just up his bat. But dig that bottles are made of melted sand, so he basically recycled it. That's true. I didn't lay that on the line for him. Yeah, real um, nerds, ze- real nerds one environmentalist zero. So. <laughs> Owned. <laughs> um, I also saw the movie Stand Up Guys for the first time. Um, I missed it in theaters for whatever reason, but it's Al Pacino, Alan Arkin, and uh, uh, Christopher Walken. That? that sounds like a movie right up your alley. I know, but it came out in 2013, and I was working at the theater, but I think I was working on Boy You Stairs or something like that. Is that so 2013? Holy yeah. shit. So, but um, if you haven't seen it, it's actually directed by Fisher Stevens uh, from Short Circuit and Short Circuit 2. And, and Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. Um, but this is, I guess, his feature, uh, or his narrative debut, because he's done documentaries. 
Um, but um, uh, but anyway, it's a story about um, a, a, a gangster gets out of prison and his friend, who was also a gangster, comes to pick him up. Um, and then throughout the course of the night, it's revealed that um, the guy who's been released is uh, been given a death sentence by his old boss. And the person who's going to kill him is his friend that got him out of jail. Um, so they decide to have one last wild ride um, through the town um, as old men. Um, they pick up their friend who's played by Alan Arkin from a old folks home and uh, let him drive around. So this to to preface this, this movie is weirdly acted, weirdly paced. Al Pacino seems to be doing whatever he's been doing for the past 10, 15 years. Like his high energy stuff. Christopher Walken looks hey, hey, hey. tired. Al Pacino's in the room and he's talking. <laughs> well, I tried really hard in that movie. You did? I'm like, thanks, Al. Four. Can we get you anything? <laughs> what did you think of the scene where you popped like 20 boner pills? <laughs> uh, it got me to stand attention, didn't it? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So, like, basically. Last, last week was better. <laughs> it, it almost feels like this is a slower. Uh, and intentionally, I have a fucking erection. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> but no, it, it it feels like this film like is a, is a slower and somehow trying to be more artsy version of what stand up guys the stand up guys remake ended up being. Um, Wait, and, aren't you talking about yeah, stand up guys? That, wait, like, no, not involved? stand up guys. Out going in style. Sorry, oh, going okay. in style. <laughs> sorry. I, even I'm getting the old people movies mixed up, guys. Um, I'm getting old. Um. Uh, but no, like, so like it kind of moves at a really like slow pace for a while, but then you get to the, in this movie. You, but you get to the scene where they break Alan Arkin's character out of the old folks home and he's supposed to be this expert driver. So when they're in the car talking, they're talking at their slow pace, but then on the outside of the car, it's like a fucking fast and furious movie where the cars are like, the cars just zooming through traffic and shit. It's, it's so odd and strange. Maybe it's because they're family. <laughs> <laughs> so but um anyway i that might be the joke though yeah no no it's 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 it sounds it, like a joke setup. it's a joke but i don't think it lands i don't think oh. it works like it just it it feels weird considering especially that all of the film tends to be kind of like off pace mm. um there are fun moments though in it like um like just like the ending is actually a, is pretty fucking well shot in terms of like where it all leads to, um, which is just a big shootout um, from like the street up to the top of a building. It's pretty cool, but um, and it has a good Bon Jovi song in it that I guess was written for the movie. But it not everything clicks together. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's on Prime. A if you want to love stand up, guys. I wish that was the song. That'd be amazing. Um, but yeah, it's on Prime if you want to check it out. Um, I watched a documentary on Gene Kelly called Anatomy of a Dancer, which was an American Masters thing from like I guess ten years ago. Um, I've, I've, I know very little about Gene Kelly other than I love Singing in the Rain and uh, American in Paris. So watching this documentary, there are some films that I forgot, like he's been in, like from like the Hollywood period and whatnot. Like On the Town is like a great Frank Sinatra movie, um, with Gene Kelly and whatnot. And then there's also, um. Uh, like uh, c- county fair and stuff like that. There's some good stuff, but like his life's been interesting because he did not. Uh, he he was always trying to perfect a like a a, a a a an answer to classic style dance by creating an American style, and that's why a lot of those dance sequences that he 
does in an American in Paris and uh, singing in the rain and whatnot are so like elaborate and like beautifully shot is just like he's trying to create a an American dance style that doesn't exist. My favorites with Stewie. <laughs> They talk, they talk they talk about that sequence too how that like that that barely got in on time for them to get the prince released um and also that Mickey Mouse uh was not allowed to be used in that because Walt Disney Jerry no well they used Jerry but they tried to get Mickey Mouse mm. initially um so uh and then Disney said fuck no <laughs> good impression Ryan by the way yeah, I, I know that <laughs> thank you uh, but yeah so that was good um it's it, I was on a DVD that I found at work um uh. I rewatched Crystal Lake Memories over the past two days because I love that documentary. Um, I, it's interesting to listen to um, some of the people talk about Part Five because it, the, the the stuff about Part Nine frustrates me just because it's fucking Adam Marcus. Um, but the stuff on Part Five is just like it's extremely frustrating to hear that Danny Steinem was such a, an apparent asshole. And Frank Mancuso Jr. is doing such a great job at being diplomatic about all of it. <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, it's a fun doc. It's on Shutter right now if you want to check it out. And the last thing I watched for the first time was Sicario after three years of putting it off. Um, Emily Blunt's best movie. Um, so here's the thing. She's amazing in it. She's fucking awesome. But I was not expecting it. To, obviously, I was like being it the first time. I did not expect it to go where it goes. Um, finding out that it's at the end of the day in a weird way it's a Benicio story with, um, about Alessandro and also like it just like it, it didn't like set me up to believe like that it would go in that direction I thought like Benicio's character was going to be more in the background and whatnot kind of like Josh Brolin and be more of an Emily Blunt story which it kind of is but then it kind of like it manages to do uh, ensemble very well because there's more than just like even those three characters in the film. There's also a uh, a plot that then integrates later in the film with a uh, a uh, a cop in um, Mexico who's uh, they show his day to day life, and then you find out that he's actually working for the cartel, um, transporting drugs in his uh, vehicle. Um, two things that like blew me away in it. First of all, Daniel Kaluuya's in the movie playing Emily Blunt's partner. Get out, Daniel Kaluuya. So I and I I was just like wow right on so he has been in other movies not just the Black Mirror or BBC stuff so that was pretty cool to see him in it <coughs> and then what I found like most amazing about the film is how morally complex it is um I wouldn't say it's as dark as Prisoners like it's a different type of dark like it's it's <coughs> it's asking different You're not gonna die in us are you Zach no it's fine it's, it's <laughs> all right. It's asking different questions than Prisoners does. It's so, a it's a a film that asks interesting questions, and you don't always get the answer you want. Right, and even the, and and also like if you're expecting a certain answer, they flip the switch on you. Mm -hmm. Um, at, like that dinner scene, like I I had an idea in my mind like about five seconds before what happens happens. I'm like, oh, I guess he could do that, but they're 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 not ballsy enough to do that, and then he fucking does it, mm -hmm. and I was just like, f and like I I couldn't believe it, um. But uh, and then the, I actually think the tensest scene in the movie is the the final scene with him and Blunt, where oh, yeah. he's asking her to sign the paper, saying it's all le legal and legit. I mean, um, the entire film is leading up to that moment. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, very much so. Um, and then like, but also the final shot, final shot itself in the film of them, play the kids playing soccer, 
in Mexico and then it interrupts the game to hear the gunfire. Like, I don't know why I avoided the film for as long as I did, but it's interesting to know that, like, this film didn't play out the way I thought it played out, which is like an action thriller that kind of, like, exploits the cartel situation in Mexico. And instead, it it asks very hard questions about it and ones that you don't always get the answer to. And having seen Cartel Land prior to this made this a lot more um, understanding a watch. Right? Whereas if I hadn't seen Cartel Land beforehand, it might have taken me a couple of viewings to kind of like get into the mode of it. So, but yeah, no, good job, Dennis Vanilla Ice. Yeah, you you made a good movie. If they ever um, do a re-release at the Alamo, like on a big screen, I want to see it there because the 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 cinematography is beautiful and just for a Deacon's movie, it feels different somehow than anything he's done. Um, I mean, reading the sequel is pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I wonder what we're seeing next week. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that next week? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, but, yeah, that's all I watched this week. I can't uh, believe that we're seeing that, not Uncle Drew. The film about <laughs> old people playing basketball. Well, Henry, I mean, it, if you want, Henry, you're in town. If that's the movie you want to see, then we can make it Uncle Drew. <gasps> I'm not in town, but... <laughs> then fuck you, we're seeing Sicario 2. Henry, I mean, what's the uh, subtitle? I don't even know what the subtitle is. Day of the Day Soldado. Soldado. Day of the Soldado? Yeah. Okay. It's being called Soldado in other territories, but because it's America, we need brand merchandising, so we call it Sicario Day of the Soldado. Probably something related to the sun. Cause yeah, Soldado. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. It's Soldado. hot. Well, doesn't Soldado mean soldier? Mm, I, thought that was the, I, thought, I thought Soldado means soldier. And you keep maybe. talking about yeah. what you watched, and I'll look it up. All right, so uh, I just watched a few things. I... I watched Wolfman's Got Nards at Denver Comic Con. Go see it. I already mentioned it earlier. If it's playing in festivals, um, I rewatched uh, Tomb Raider. I still think the movie's really fun. Uh, I think Alicia Vikander's really good in it. Uh, I, I I only have one problem is she had to wait for an explosion for her to kick the bad guy's ass, um, even though we know she's capable of doing it. Um, so it's still a fun movie. It's kind of an Indiana Jones um, popcorn movie where you don't have to think too hard. You just watch it and appreciate the adventure of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched uh, Let's Be Cops for the first time. Never seen it. Um, it's like funny, but not great. Yeah. Because I, I think Damon Waynes isn't good in it. Or uh, yeah, Damon Waynes. But Jake Johnson's really good in it. I like him more with every time I see him in. Like... Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a different uh, character, too, for Rob Riggle. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's silly, but it's fun. Um, I, I like when he shows up on the football field in the cop car. <laughs> it's like, who, watch one of you fuckers. That's what I do all day long. That was episode 169, and you did miss it. I did miss it. There you go. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's fun. It's not really memorable. From but... a, from an actual cop's perspective, uh, how realistic is this film? <laughs> not very. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. But, I mean, the only thing I will say is that they're working at Los Angeles, that there's enough police where you don't know anybody. everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go to Denver. I think Denver has... 2,000 officers? There's no way you know everybody. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you might be able to get away with the, for a little bit, mm. but... So I'm just laughing because we tell that episode, let's be Cox. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which it should be. Um, yeah, the, it was just a fun movie. Uh, I don't... Like I said, kind of forgetful. Um, but... I got it at second and charles for a dollar 97 so i don't think i i don't think i wasted it's it's worth, like. i got it a long time ago and i, I was like looking at my oh, i haven't watched this yet why don't i pop this in um i got it at the same time i got observant report which i actually liked a lot more the second time i watched it um also you're right soldado does mean soldier so soldado look at me being spanish day of the soldier day of the soldier henry jarvis 
Spanish. I'm going to call it Sicario <laughs> with Thanos. Should it be Dia de la Soldado. Yeah. What the hell? Well, I mean, El Soldado. They're already doing it only for American audiences. I don't think. I think they'd be like, we're not putting all of the thing in Spanish. <laughs> so, I can't see this movie. There's too many Spanish words. <laughs> uh, so watch that. Uh, Donald Trump impressions all day, I tell you. Yeah. Wow. Um, Strangers Pray at Night, unrated, which. So I don't know what's going on with the Blu-ray. The unrated and the rated are the exact same time. And the only thing I can think of is watching the unrated one. I think they add more blood spray. The scenes aren't different. They're the same. So it's there's not really even alternate takes? No, it's really bizarre. I would say they could just change the shots and keep life. So, I mean, it reminds same. me of um, what movie is PG-13 and they made R with CGI blood. Uh, Alien vs. Predator. It's all they have a few extra scenes in it, but the reason is became R rated is they added a bunch of CG blood to it, and that's what kind of felt like. But it didn't look CG. I don't know. I could be wrong. I didn't notice a difference. Um, but that- the movie's still great. It's really a- atmospheric. Uh, it's shot really well. Um, the killings they only kill I think five people in it, maybe three or four. But they're really brutal and they're really um, uh, hard to watch. Because it's character-driven. Yes, it's character-driven. You actually and, care about these fuckers. <laughs> um, and in ways you don't expect. Um, and and they, don't, they don't shy away from it. I mean, the mom dies in it, and they show her getting stabbed repeatedly. Um, it, it's, it's a really cool movie. If you, if you like slasher films, it's a fun movie. Because it also, towards the end, it kind of devolves into an 80s slasher where the bad guy is kind of indestructible. That's the only problem kind I of, have with the film. Kind yeah. of, not really. Um, but it's fun. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. The film leaves me on a suspenseful note, though. <laughs> it sure does. Um, well, they do have an alternate ending on the Blu-ray. Oh, really? And it's like 20 seconds longer. And then it's also the Blu-ray has um, I hate when it says, you know, making of special features. and There's like three on there. It's like the music, the scenes, the family or killers or whatever. And each one is two minutes long. Is the family one Vin Diesel talking about? Yeah. I love the strangers. So it, it's literally like quick cuts of the movie. And they go. And these killers are ruthless. Strangers. You're like, what the fuck is this? It's, it's literally they took it off EPK TV or something. I don't know. Who who put that Blu-ray out? Do you know? Uh, Universal. Oh, okay. Um, I also watched uh, Abba Costello meet the mummy for the first time in a while. Yeah, you did. Um, it's pretty funny. Not quite as good as the other meet the monsters. I think it was the oh, last yeah. one. Yeah. Oh. Because I think they did, uh, before this one, they did meet the monster with. Uh, meet the Boris. Yeah, oh, meet the killer Boris Karloff. Yeah. And then before they that was Invisible Man. Man. No, Jekyll and Hyde. Then Invisible Man, and then yeah, so Mummy's yeah, Mummy is the last one. Yeah, and it's fun. I mean, well, and at this point, Bud and Lou were they were they were getting older on the way out, and Costello was a depressive wreck, and Bud Abbott was in gambling debt. What did Costello? He died like three years after this, I think. Yeah. Soon after. Yeah, and it left um, uh, Bud in a lurch for years, and leaving Bud to die penniless in the 70s. But. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I mean, there's lots of really funny... Um, in this movie, it has a lot more of winking at the camera, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally winking at the camera. Um, and it has stupid lines. They, they show a, a headline from the newspaper and they go uh you know hey that dead guy in there well which one's dead and it's it's stupid but funny there, there are gems in that one it's yeah. just that like just not as tight as the other ones yeah like the frankenstein one manages to reuse a gag from hold that ghost which was like i think two years prior and it still works oh yeah but like 
I mean, at this point, also sense of humors are changing and whatnot. So yeah. they're they're not unconfident, but it's just yeah, it's it's a fun movie. Yeah. I mean, it's like an hour and ten minutes. Did you got it on an individual release, or did you get it? No, in that... um, I have it in the Mummy collection. Oh, oh, that's right, that's right. You were telling me about that. So the Universal's been putting out the collections on Blu-ray, and if you haven't bought any of them for a hundred and like fifty bucks, you can buy all fifty films on Blu-ray coming out in October. Um, I can't see that online anywhere. You got to show me the link I will. later. It's yeah. on Amazon. Um, My mom likes to watch that movie because she told me she's like, "Yeah, I watched it when I was a kid, and it's really not for kids." No. <laughs> so the thing is, they treat the monsters legit, and it also has Richard Deacon from the Dick Van Dyke Show as one of the henchmen in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. I mean, I, I'll watch it again because I like Abbott Costello. Um, and the last thing I watched was a movie. So I'm doing the Scream Factory Crypt, which I was going to publish some. But then when I was going through, I noticed my wife or my kid put my movies out of order. So now I have to go back and watch a couple before I can post them again. Um, but I watched Caged Fury, which is a woman in prison movie. Hell yeah. Um, have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, my God. I've, I, so in it, there's women who are in prison who wear lingerie. Hell yeah. So the opening is like half naked and naked women. Well, I mean, One, if you trade enough cigarettes, you can get lingerie. Yeah. So, but the like, they're <laughs> the realism is too through the roof. Yeah. So <laughs> their like prison outfits are like boxer shorts and like really tight shirts, and then some of them wear teddies. It's and boussiers. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the opening is this, I guess, mean <laughs> prison guard, and he's chasing this like woman with huge tits just falling out through uh, ventilation. I don't even know what the fuck's going on. But it's, it's, one of the, it's one of those movies where you don't know what's happening, but in a way it's really awesome because not the nudity part. Cause so it, after all that part, it cuts to Eric Estrada, who's in the movie for like 10 minutes, but he gets mm-hmm. top billing. So you can tell it's in a low-budget movie that he was paid to do a couple scenes, mm-hmm. and then they couldn't afford to put him in any other scenes. And then his friend named uh, Rico something, but he's like this karate guy. Who can just like kick everybody's ass? Rico Suave? Yes, something like that. But he had like a Jerry Curl mullet, and he meets the girl who comes from Kansas. I, you look at me. I don't Dorothy. remember any of this film. So, but like, because I'm, I'm trying to like, I don't know, because I watched it two days ago and like, I can't yeah. remember. Um, <laughs> I watched Dorothy, it like three right? years ago. Yes, Dorothy from Kansas. Um, her dad is played by Michael Parks. Um, and you, you're watching. You're going, what in the fuck is going on here? And then. So she goes to an audition, and but oh, sorry. In the meantime, she meets Eric Estrada and his Terminator karate guy Rico. I forget his name. And she gets uh, she's going to get raped by this motorcycle gang behind this bar after meeting these two guys. And this is when you find out he's great at karate because he goes out there and just kicks everybody's ass. Not very convincingly though, because the fights aren't choreographed very well and the editing is really shitty. Um, but in a way, like, this is kind of weird but fun. Um, and then she gets on. So they both tried... Like Roadhouse fun? No, not as good as Roadhouse. Because <laughs> um, there's no Swayze and you know, Pain Don't Hurt. There's nothing like that in it. And no polar bears either. Yeah, <laughs> no polar bears. It's almost like if, I remember, I, like, if I remember correctly, it's almost like they didn't know this guy, the actor, was going like, yeah, to... So the... And then there's like, oh, you can do this? Cool. And then they just yeah. shot it without playing. Like, <laughs> you guys know I do karate, right? That's basically... Oh, right, a karate scene in. <laughs> so they ride off on a Harley. Then she goes to an audition for a movie... Where she has to come on to the producer, this old dude, and then when she doesn't want to, like, show skin, then he calls the cops and has her arrested for rape, and she gets sentenced to go to Honeywell Prison, which is the prison. So the prison goes away for like forty-five minutes, yeah, like, <laughs> and like almost a whole movie, 
And then it cuts to them at the prison, and it's just like um, the naked cage where the warden is like this dominatrix, super hot chick who's naked all the time. Um, and then they uh, stick their uh, – they do anal examinations, and then the bad uh, police guy there like lets girls out if they sleep. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Eventually, Eric Estrada finds out. He gets shot. And they have the scene with the Terminator karate guy. He's in the ambulance and he says, I'll go save him. And Eric Estrada says, no, I need to help. He says, no, you stay here. You just got shot. <laughs> this is seriously the dialogue. I'm not even. The twist of this movie is like, this isn't a government government funded prison. <laughs> what? You got it. Yeah. You got yeah, that's it. It's, it. Like... it's all an act where they sell these girls on a slave market yeah. at the very end. I'm like, what the fuck? And but so it's basically they're looking for a way for Eric Estrada not to be in the movie anymore. And he and the karate guy's like, "You stay here, I'll go save him." And he drives to this prison, kicks everybody's ass until he gets like swarmed. They throw him in a cell and they they lock him up. Like, "Ha ha, get us now!" And they walk away. But he kicks through the wall and then continues to beat everybody up. And then they all run out. And the best part is they run out to the um, Grauman's Chinese theater. And they have a marquee for Raiders of the uh, the the Last Crusade, like it. So just eighty nine, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, like clear as day. And then Eric Estrada shows up with like this little blood right here. He's like, "Oh, I'm okay." And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> so what tipped you off that it wasn't a, a real government prison? Be well, I mean, at, at the beginning, uh, I mean, a lot of the employees were just in their lingerie, but <laughs> yeah. I, I still believe that it was. <laughs> but it's supposed to be like this huge twist, even though you already know it's coming. Yeah. And they're going, <laughs> but what about the DA? Actors. They were all actors to sell you on the <laughs> sex. So it's basically Taken without Liam Neeson. <laughs> wow. Oh, yep. The... Uh I watched this like years ago back when I was like really into like exploitation kind of films. Mm -hmm. And the director made another film, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but I can look it up. Where it's basically the same like woman in cages kind of film, but instead the instead of the twist being that it's all a thing, it's like halfway through they got like this woman in cage thing isn't working out. What if we make this a mind control film? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then it's... they just like start doing that. Like So I've watched uh, a few of them and they're like so bad they're entertaining. Like, I don't remember. The Naked Cage is like a lady robbing a bank and she gets framed for it. Mm -hmm. But they always find a way where they can shower together. The warden is some lesbian dominatrix. And she's who has a also hot tub. showering. Like, yeah. Like... And she has like a hot tub always in her like office. And... As the warden does. Yes. Like... So. Well, when you watch Shawshank Redemption, the warden there had <laughs> the a hot tub in his hot office. Tub yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the bubbles are going when he says, or am I being obtuse? So, <laughs> it's a standard. I mean, if people say, would you recommend it? So I think I gave it two and a half stars on Letterboxd because the movie's not good, but it's also entertaining. Yeah. I don't know. Because the karate dude, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like, it's our. It's one of our tweets I've put out lately that's been our most active because. It must be a movie where everyone. I mean, I didn't know anyone so to even heard of it. Yeah, but well, it's, it's like it's known as one of the most like iconic woman in cages films. So it's pretty so, infamous. With, yeah, because I don't know why the karate dude can break through walls, but he can. The karate, and he's dude not good at karate though. No, he's not. Like, it's like, <laughs> and I don't know if it's because he's not good or the director's not good at staging and uh, blocking. Probably both. can it be both? Like, yeah, because <laughs> the edits are bad. But yeah, well, because and then it does make sense too that she's. Picks up this girl on her way to L.A. And she's like, I haven't been there in years. But then she has a boyfriend she knows who's a photographer. Who's also... I don't fucking know. There's lots of naked women. Terminator guy. It's entertaining. Screen Factor release only comes with a trailer. Because 
I don't know if anyone wants to talk about it. <laughs> and Michael Parks is only in it for like two minutes. He's always by the phone, and he always answers it when his daughters call him. That's his entire character. Oh, yeah, because her sister comes to try to save her, but she gets arrested, too. Like, in the span of a day. Like, she's arrested and her trial. Yeah, it it takes place really quick. Yeah, it does. It's like, the director knows, no one cares about this. It's it's basically like a porno, because you're like... No, yeah. Because you're trying to say, like, wow, did I miss, like, a part of the story? And I did. I I reversed the Blu-ray. I'm like, nope, didn't miss any scenes. (laughs) So, yeah, whatever. Um, It was fun. (laughs) I own it. Um... (laughs) It's one of those Scream Factory titles that never goes on sale. I mm-hmm. I got it when it came out, and I got it for like 15 bucks, And now I haven't seen it below $24. Because mm-hmm. it, it must be one of their low print ones where they don't put out yeah. very often. Or it might be that it's so popular that like people Maybe. know they can charge more for it. Maybe. Because, so. I, mean, I mean, it's a title that I don't know how many people ask for. But obviously they do because it's popular. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't know it was... Yep. Caged Heat. Caged Heat. Uh, this week on Real Nerds Podcast, we saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Henry, should people see JW2? Okay, so I'll preface this by saying that I saw this really early this morning, and I was asleep through some of it. Uh, I wasn't that big a fan of it, but also I should probably rewatch it because I missed a good amount of it. So, that's what I think. Brad? Um, I, 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 I might like it a little bit more than Jurassic World, but uh, there's a lot of trying a little too much um there's a subplot in this film that's like completely bon- like bonkers to me um but i guess if th- this is the direction it's going it's it's not that crazy uh but overall it it, it seems I, I did appreciate that for once in a blockbuster movie they start out very globally and the movie ends very locally um and we'll talk about that later but overall like it has some interesting ideas but i don't think anything fully like is fully realized in a, in a satisfying way. Zach? Um, well, not... I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. I'm kind of like... Cause Jurassic World, the first one for me, was like a fun trip down memory lane that also kind of had an interesting angle to it. Fallen Kingdom kind of felt like... Let's let's like kind of add more more of that nostalgia sauce onto... Another piece of nostalgia sauce that you saw back in '97, and just to make it even crazier. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I, we'll talk about it later. But I thought there were some things in this film that just seemed kind of utterly useless to me. So, but if you're looking to get out of the heat, sure. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I liked it. Um. Not as actually, I like Jurassic World more. Um. Just because I think some of the, like the characters and dialogue was kind of goofy. Um, but my little boy loved it, and um, I thought it. I thought uh, touching on Brad, it was cool because the ending last forty minutes or so kind of felt like a horror film, where and they really um, focused the movie. Then uh, the rest of it kind of seemed all over the place. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I liked. It. If you like dinosaurs causing mayhem, I don't because there's lots of dinosaurs in this one. The dinosaurs are definitely the stars. I mean, that's just the thing. Like, it's just, if you're going to watch Dino Attacks, then yeah, of course I should say go see it. But if you're looking for, like, substance, maybe not. It's hard because the first one is just, like, like, so iconic. Mm -hmm. It's a really high bar to always live up to. Um, But, like, uh, you know, Jurassic World was sort of like a even bigger budget remake of the original. 
And I, I'd say this one's almost more in line with also a remake of The Lost World, but with yeah. like mm-hmm. extra stuff that I don't yeah. think should be there. Yeah, here's a trailer for uh, Fallen Kingdom. She's tracked. Okay, okay, come on. Okay. Are you okay? I'm okay. How many can you save? Eleven species. Blue is the last of her kind. You'll never capture her. We thought you might know someone who could help. A rescue op? What could go wrong? Hey, Blue. You know me. Come with me. You know you can't stay here. Back your men up right now. It was all a lie! The man who proved raptors can follow orders. You never thought how many millions a trained predator might be once? They're gonna sell them. Not Blue. They need it for something else. What is that thing? They made it. This is the most dangerous creature that ever walked the earth. I say we shut this whole thing down. Hey, girl. You think what I'm thinking? Genetic power has now been unleashed. You can't put it back in the box. If I don't make it back, remember you're the one who made me come here. I'll be all right. These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful, they're going to be here after. Welcome to Jurassic World. So uh, this place takes place three years after Jurassic World, so I guess it's real time, and I, I guess I really never divulge who Lockwood works for or what he does. So by the way, John Hammond was working with this guy Lockwood yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And I mean, they, uh, so he's not in any other film. No. Right? no, the, no. I, I said he might be in the books. Maybe. I don't um, remember. But... So, yeah. Anyway, so he's working with them, and then he decides he wants to have a dinosaur sanctuary. But then, like the Lost World, there's, like, hunters who have a different idea. Which also, uh, they mentioned that, like, Hammond's vision was to, like, to have this dinosaur sanctuary. And I'm pretty sure Hammond just wanted the theme park. Yeah. So they changed that yeah. motivation. I had to Spare no circus first, and then I expanded. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, the, I guess the only thing John Hammond wanted everybody to experience Jurassic Park. Um, where now it's the corporate greed. And, I mean, that's a cool angle. You know, it's what would you do with these dinosaurs? And I think it asks interesting questions if the dinosaurs were going to be extinct uh, with uh, Jeff Goldblum's little moments in the movie where he's just saying, you know, why we should just let them die because they're not supposed to be here anyways. Right. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting scene and interesting to have him in it, but I also 
I feel like just having him be bookends is kind of a disservice to him as an actor and also to that well, character. I think it's also, I'm, well, when they back up Cash, I'm, I yeah. do it. I'm yeah. sure he just didn't want to do it, and eventually they named a price high enough that he was willing to do that little. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I will say, I mean, I thought it was kind of interesting or at least fun that it starts with him being like, "No, we should let them die." And then it's like, "All right, well, fuck it. Like, I guess we're yeah. gonna have to do it now." So, yeah, which I'm. Uh, I'm sitting there at the end going, like, yeah, don't save them. Because, like, even if you do save them, they're just going to be hunted by humans anyway. Yeah, and, put and they down, eventually so... die out, too. Because if they just got well, humans and Buffalo 11 <laughs> of them, I didn't see any repeat species. So, yeah, I mean, I there's mean, one T-Rex, there's one Triceratops, there's one Ankylosaurus. I mean... Did you recap the story? Is like, the, the Isla Nubar basically blows up. Yeah, it blows up on a volcano. And people are wondering, like, should we save the dinosaurs or not? But then an InGen-style company comes in and steals... Some DNA. Yeah, and then... James Cromwell, who's great as an actor. <laughs> he's not really giving too much in this film, but... Um... But I'm because like, he was in it, I was constantly thinking, like, oh, well, he's going to be the villain eventually, and surprisingly, he wasn't. Yeah, he was he is more of... He actually did want to have a sanctuary for the dinosaurs, and um, the but Mills it's... guy is the bad guy. And then it kind of takes a Resident Evil turn, where um, the... So his granddaughter. Spoilers. Oh yeah. So spoilers. Uh, his granddaughter is actually a clone, so they're able to clone people now too. Which hopefully that's just... we're kind of, we're getting close to like a jumping the shark kind of moment. Yeah, I know a little too. Like I'm saying, they're going like, okay, we're in a movie. Like, <laughs> okay, we clone dinosaurs. Why couldn't you clone a person? But it's also like a ten year old girl, and they've been successful on the first try. So and she yeah. doesn't know that she is. Um, so it's just like. After all the conservation messages, yeah. and it's just like, yeah, it's just like this extra thing that Why could have been just another be movie. His daughter's daughter. I thought it was going to be like Ari- Ariana Richards' Me too. daughter. Me too. Like, yeah. That would have been way better. I think. Me too. Uh, so yeah, it, I mean, the destruction of uh, the island is pretty sweet. I think the. I mean, I love I love anything that deals with dinosaurs. Um, this movie definitely probably has the most you get to see on screen. Yeah, and it's cool too. You know, they did have a lot of animatronic dinosaurs in it. Um, I like I, I, I'm because I agree with you in the sense that there's like the hor- there's a horror element that kicks in in the last thirty to forty minutes, um, especially with the Indoraptor and some of those scenes in the the Lockwood Museum. But like the whole time, like those are th- going on. I'm kind of like. I remember when Jurassic Park, oddly enough, was the like the simplest film in the series, and now, like we've gone into cloning humans. Like I just don't understand how like like Lost World Jurassic Park makes sense. Jurassic Park Three is stretching it a little bit, but like it's, it's gotten more complicated as it goes on. I think if you're going and it's go, needlessly so. I think if you're going to take the route of like cloning humans, like why wouldn't you just make him like. Uh, like a Dr. Moreau experience uh, experiments where it's like humans and dinosaur hybrids. <laughs> which that was point. the original plan for Jurassic World. Right. right. Which, I mean, like, that would, I think, that's the most interesting angle you can do at this point, which, I mean, I guess they'll do that next film. I mean... How are you going to get that? Because they also had the, the auction scene where, I mean, they kind of spoil it in the trailers, but you have these world people that are going to use these dinosaurs and military, military purposes. purposes yeah. And that's what they're, that's what they designed the Indoraptor for. Um so we'll see. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'll see the next one, but um, my, my little boy loved it. 
he was talking throughout. It's like, oh, that T Rex is eating people. That's fun. I guess I'm just wondering, like, w- w- is that really the thing that's appealing people to Jurassic Park? Because I think it's just seeing dinosaurs. That in and of itself should be enough as a selling point. Well, I mean, you got to push it. You know, you can only be uh, awed by the dinosaur so much, and you already had that great moment in the first Jurassic Park where you know Dr. Sadler's saying. This plant should even be here. This should be extinct for so. And you have the awe of the dinosaurs, right? So, I mean, you got to push it. But well, Bryce Dallas Howard actually brings up the question: Like, do you remember the first time you saw a dinosaur? Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. it just seems like passe. Yeah, I, I do love uh, Chris Pratt has a line. He's where he says, uh, "Yeah, if something happens to me, just remember you brought me here." Yeah, it's awesome. And they also, uh, like, I was. Can you imagine Alan Grant like doing a full on like fight scene like? Uh, Chris Pratt does no. in the Indoraptor no. cage room. It's no. like that's how far this series has gone. Yeah, it's, it's an action adventure. He'd give yeah. him a threatening lecture with a claw in his hand about the raptors. Um, no, there was a great shot in this film though that I thought was great in terms of the Jurassic Park mythology. I guess is when they're as um, as they're escaping the island um, on the big ship. Um, uh, I think it's a Bryce Howard turns around um, and looks at it before they close the ship's doors. And you see a brontosaurus um, waiting on the dock, like just because he's trying to get away from the from the volcano lava, and like it's just beautifully lit, beautifully kind of like composed, and it like it's a well up moment, and it got me. But like that was like again one of those nostalgia points of just like oh shoot, like it's hitting it's hitting something I didn't realize existed in my love of the original Jurassic Park and Lost World to an extent. I think it's so. point. Like there's these animals that didn't ask to be bred exactly but they have to exist here and you know they can't help themselves which in itself is like just kind of like the only in my opinion kind of like one of the only nods we get to like the intent of this whole story period which is just or like other than malcolm's uh wonderful bits at the beginning and the end <laughs> speaking of lava one of the my- one of my favorite sequences was uh, Owen trying to escape the lava after oh, he yeah. tranquilized, and it's like oh, creeping no. up on him. That's a great like little comedy moment. Yeah. That is a, that I don't know if it's playing for strictly just laughs, you know, like it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, it's I mean it's completely made. I think the director's good. Um, I mean I had fun with it, and I, I probably I had more fun because how much my little boy loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean he was talking throughout it. Uh, not in like an obnoxious. At the Alamo? Way. Did he get written no, up? No, I don't take him to the Alamo. <laughs> I would have put up a card. <laughs> no. but he, I mean, he would say things like, uh, "Oh, that lava is going to get him," you know. So he was really into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I've always said I don't mind when kids talk in the movie if they're talking about the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't like when people go, "He's in blah 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 blah." You know, when I go see The Incredibles or I see uh, like I'm, I'll take him to Hotel Transylvania three. I don't mind if he says, oh, there's a vampire. I don't care when kids say stuff like that. It doesn't take me out of the movie. Um, I'm going to totally say that when we see. I'm not going Ryan, to it's a vampire. No, I said kids, Zach, not adults. Not man-childs. Yeah, not man-childs. But, I mean, I think the the ending is really cool. Um, uh, also, so after Blue takes out the Indoraptor, um, you know, it's like screaming on top of the, the Triceratops statue. But then the other two characters come into the to the museum like right behind him and blues just disappeared do you know what i'm talking about i think they should run away right i thought they did i thought the scene ended with like blues on top like it jumps off the statue but then like you know screams in the screen and then i think they cut to uh owen and what's her name and then it cuts back to her assistants like running into the museum remember maybe and they don't have 
Owen's powers to stop Blue, so they would have been. Eaten. Well, I mean, it's also a great moment too, where Owen tries to talk to Blue, and she doesn't trust him anymore, and runs away. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good elements, I would yeah. say, in the film that aren't fully realized, but yeah. like it felt, and it felt shorter than a lot of recent. Like, really, or, like, I thought it was three hours. I was <laughs> like, oh my god, when's this movie gonna be? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> wrap up. There's like so many ideas being thrown at me. Just like pick one. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good thing we didn't watch this last night at like ten thirty. <laughs> oh, like, I know, right? Yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> um, it felt like four hours. I mean, I feel like I think my biggest issue with it is that like Jurassic World like had the heart in. The heart of Jurassic World was in the kids and, like, the brother relationship trying to get back to their parents. Mm-hmm. And I think this film is severely lacking that kind of element where it's just, it's, I mean, I love Chris Brown, I love Bryce Dallas Howard, but they're not no, the ones drawing me to this film. And so it's like, I don't really, it's like this entire time, I didn't really have a character to really root for. Mm-hmm. And so. They pull that T-Rex pose, though, twice in this film. Yeah. They, they want they want to make up for all that time they didn't have her in Jurassic World. Hmm. It's fun. Next week, we're seeing Sicario Dos. I will be seeing Uncle Drew and doing an art house asshole of Uncle Drew. So. <laughs> no, please do. Please do so I can read it. <laughs> uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, thanks for coming out to support us at Denver Comic Con. Until next week, bye. Bye. Are we going to do our 10 minute version? We can. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, I'm down. For the radio. Yeah, let's do it. Do you need me to make a separate recording backup just in case? I'll keep it on this one. Okay, cool. Awesome. So, so do you know what we're just, doing? So we're just talking about the movie? Well, uh, I know what it is, but what are we, how are we doing it? And how are we going to... I guess like more... A 10-minute version of Realist Podcast, but only for the movie. Like for yeah. The, so yeah. no DVDs no, and no, stuff no, like I understand that. that. Yeah. It's like, hey, you know, we're doing this podcast. Introduce everybody. This week we saw this, and then... Okay. It's just for Jurassic World. Does that get picked up by the mics at all? I don't know. I can definitely hear it in my headphones. Yeah. Here, can I uh, take a listen? Yeah, you can definitely hear it in my headphones. Definitely, yeah. Alright, well, it's dead off now, so we'll probably just go. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast. Unofficially, the official podcast of Denver Comic Con 2019. I am Ryan. With me is... Brad. And... Henry. And... Zach. And this week on Real Nerds Podcast, we went and saw Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. Brad, should people go see Jurassic World? Uh, it's okay. Uh, there's a lot going on, a lot of different ideas being thrown at you. Um, I feel like they could have just picked one and like focused on that for the movie. Um, but if you like seeing dinosaurs, they, this, def- this movie gives you a lot of them. Zach. <laughs> Sorry, I was making sure. Um... I'm 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 not particularly like fascinated or excited by this film. Like I'm kind of worn out on dinosaurs at this point, especially mutated dinosaurs. Um, there are some things that I enjoyed about it, but ultimately I was just kind of like, okay, that's a film I saw. So like, I guess if you need to beat the summer heat, go sure, go on inside and watch it. Henry, uh, I think. I wasn't super blown away by it, but if you are desperate for a film, you've already seen all the other blockbusters. There are worse things to see, mm-hmm. so uh, maybe check it out if you're if you're just desperate for a dinosaur film. I had fun with it. You know, I took my little boy, and he really liked it. So I think I might be a little biased in it, but I think it had some cool ideas. Uh, it opened really big, um, and then it also kind of shrunk back down to a horror film towards the end. So I I I, I enjoyed it. Um, our 
Are we playing the trailer? I don't think we can actually. Yeah. So just okay. that. So I uh, in. So the movie takes place three years after the last Jurassic World, which is in real time. And it deals with scientists trying to, again, save the dinosaurs. But there's a little twist that the island is also an active volcano now. And if they don't get dinosaurs off the island, then the dinosaurs will be gone forever. And there's a little scene with Jeff Goldblum at the beginning. He's not really in it, which is kind of weird because he's kind of been focus of a lot of the uh, marketing behind it and he basically says let them die because you created them anyways and they're not real dinosaurs anyways just let them die and claire from the previous uh bryce dallas howard now works for a dinosaur saving like greenpeace basically for dinosaurs and so she's able to convince owen to go back to the island to save blue chris pratt chris pratt because he's the blue is the last velociraptor um so when they go there they it's kind of unravels where you find out that um, it's not what they said it is. They're not saving the dinosaurs. They're actually being collected and harvested, not only for the DNA, but they're going to be sold on the black market in some sort of underbelly auction with Russians. Oh, and their, te- yeah. and their teeth are going to be taken up by Buffalo Bill's Ted Levine. We, we didn't even yes. mention that. <laughs> yes. So uh, there's also a guy. He, he reminds me. It seems like, a you know, we mentioned the Lost World. He reminds me, what's the name of the hunter in the Lost World? Because it's basically the Pe- same Peter, dude. Peter, Peter, Peter Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so is Ted Levine well, that, that playing guy, Peter Possible? Well, his character wasn't sinister. He was just, you know, like a sportsman. Yeah, but that it's worked kind of the same thing, though, right? Well, he's not Muldoon, where he's like a hunter tracker. Well, Engine was, was just yeah. collecting him for the new park. Yeah. These guys are selling him to, to, to rich criminals. No, yeah, no, I get that. It's just like he's kind. Of, he's even wearing kind of the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Muldoon, Pete yeah. Possible's character, like they're like. This movie kind of fills all the same character roles with the new people. Yeah, I mean, there's it, even a new Hammond. Basically, <laughs> there is a new Hammond, Lockwood. James Cromwell. Yeah, I love him though; he's a great actor. Um, it, it, so the the movie is introducing several elements here, and one is they're going to create dinosaurs for military, which they kind of mentioned earlier. Uh, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character in. D'Onofrio, yeah. yeah. World, the first one. That was like his whole thing was he wanted to militarize them. And, militarize yeah. the raptor. And, yeah. um, and in this one, they created not Indominus Rex, but, but the Indoraptor. The Indoraptor, which they never really revealed what other parts did they use. No, it's uh, just Indominus Rex plus Velociraptors. Is that it? Because I thought Velociraptor was Indominus Rex anyway. Well, it's also like the specific fact of like the key to training it that comes from That's Chris a- Pratt from the first film. And also, like, like something about, like, it, in the S, the Indominus Rex. But there's also more dinosaurs that they never really revealed because. Yeah, I need, I need to rewatch Jurassic World to see, like, what dinosaurs exactly. Because I, I think I remember it being, like, philosophers are part of the Indominus yeah, Rex. Yeah, they are, because so. remember, they, uh, the Indominus Rex, when they sh- have the raptors go after him, mm-hmm. stops him, and they have that hero shot of Pratt, and he goes, It's part raptor. Mm-hmm. I'm not the alpha anymore. Um, so there's something else with that. It might just be like they're just like upping the uh, like Velociraptor aspect, just maybe. maybe like smaller to make it kind yeah. of like. A I guess quicker. it's Indominus Rex that has T Rex in it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they all get off the island. Um, I mean, the movie's fun. I, I you know, it, it has elements that I love. I mean, if you like dinosaurs, there's tons of dinosaurs in it. Um, there's some action adventure that makes it fun. Um, some of the some of the stories kind of fall on their face, and you don't know where exactly it's going to go. Um, I mean, spoilers, 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 three, two, one, uh, 
the John Hammond Lockwood character, his granddaughter is actually a clone of his daughter, so they can clone people now, I guess. Yeah, that's that's weird. So it kind of went like I as soon as they revealed that and said, "So this is Resident Evil," where because uh, in Resident Evil, the main dude clones his daughter is the Red Queen, as, and so it just goes really weird sci-fi there. It's like it's a weird concept, which shouldn't be weird considering we're cloning yeah. dinosaurs, but still, it's like a ten-year-old fully formed human. That I guess they got right on the first try. I guess, um, I don't know. which is interesting considering their track record with the with the dinosaurs situation. So it would be sweet if they had like so you're in Lockwood's thing and you go on a tour and it, and it, he uh, says and people DNA and there'd be like Mister DNA there telling how they made his granddaughter. I think slash daughter. Give me your blood. Now you bring that up, like <laughs> that's another deficiency of the movie is like the the, the original Jurassic Park went through a lot of lengths to. Uh, explain to us how plausible this concept yeah. actually is where you know they introduce that we can clone humans but it's just like a story narrative that's like three percent of the movie yeah and doesn't um, it seem like you they just have s- to accept they bought like an ankylosaurus for example for 14 million doesn't that seem cheap <laughs> i mean that's wait a minute your that's issue a- here is the the economics that's of a- this well yeah i mean <laughs> that's less than the opening weekend gross of some movies <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it seems doesn't seem like it's For enough money. A rare animal. We'll get Toby Jones on the phone, and we'll ask him directly. <laughs> and then why did the dude uh, open up the cage after he shot it twice with the darts? What was he trying to? Oh, Ted oh, Levine. I guess he's trying to take out a tooth. But... Yeah, for his tooth collection. No, it takes but... the tooth out of the Indoraptor or gets the hose again. I okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's cool because they did have a sweet moment where he got bit in the arm and it lifted him up. That was pretty gory for a uh. PG-13 movie. <laughs> um, and I like the ending. I like the, the uh, Indoraptor chasing people because I thought it shot really cool. I thought it looked really cool in the rain. Um, I mean, visually, this film is very well done, I would say. Even, like, the volcano scene is very colorful and very well yeah. done. Yeah, and um, the scene where they uh, leave the uh, – they, they get off the island and they look back at the island as it's going up in flames and whatnot. And there's a single brontosaurus – Standing at the dock, um, like being engulfed in the lava and the smoke and whatnot, it's a, it's a beautiful image, and like there's plenty of examples of it throughout the entire film. But I don't know. Like, I I kind of felt like there's like we've gone very far from the very, if you can believe it, simple plot of the first Jurassic Park, which is what if just dinosaurs came back? But you know, the kid in me always still likes when the T Rex shows up to eat dinosaurs, and they had some really cool scenes when they're escaping. The island in the gyrosphere, the uh, Triceratops, and I don't even know what the other dinosaur was. They had a cool little fight scene before the T-Rex came up and showed them all what was what was up. And, I mean, the special effects look great. Um, they used a lot more animatronic dinosaurs. And that the, the scene where they're doing a blood transfusion from the T-Rex was really cool. Oh, yeah. Because you can tell that that's actually there, that animatronic T-Rex in... And it makes it so cool to have that kind of back in the Jurassic World model because I, I like Jurassic World. I like the first one, but it was really heavily relied on the CG part of the dinosaurs. Uh, and there's and it's really cool to see that. So it's fun. I mean, I had fun watching it. I yeah. did. It's uh, Chris Pratt escaping from lava was fun. Um, he's fun in it. And, he, he, you know, you mentioned earlier, Brad, uh, that oh no what did you say earlier about him alan grant uh would never be yeah it's interesting like where the series has gone like alan grant would never have a, like a fight scene with uh mercenaries like hand to hand 
Um, no, so, no, you just take a raptor claw and give a very scary monologue to the vi- villain, you know? Yeah. He just uses his smarts and his education to take him down. And scare the yeah. crap out of him. Whereas uh, Chris Pratt just punches him in the face. That's how Chris Pratt rolls. So next week on Real Nerds Podcast, we'll be, in, be seeing the second part of the Sicario story. Uh, so stay tuned for that. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Nerds. You can also like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can uh, visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to share you our thoughts on Sicario 2 next week. I just like that you called it the Sicario story. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Bye. Bye.